What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. This week's episode is the first one of the new year, first one in 2024. We're sitting down, got some recent news and things that we go over, including Nationals information, Classic Weekend information, several other things, new promos coming out. Kind of talk about all that with my boy Brad before getting into a conversation with Mr. Art Middlecoff. And that's someone that I was put in contact with, uh, or he was reached out to me by way of Jay Chambers. And he's got an interesting story, been you know, involved with the game of redemption at various points in his life over a 20 plus year span. So it was nice to sit down, talk to him about the game. And we talked about, you know, how the game honors its source material and also the spirituality of the game. So that's a very good conversation that we had. And I I really think you guys will enjoy that. But we're here. Podcast is back, baby. So we'll jump right in. Glad you're here. All right, guys, welcome into a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. This is our first episode for the year 2024. I finally rounded up Brad. How you doing, Brad? Oh, man, trying to get over dusting off all this equipment. You know, this podcast equipment has been <laughs> stored up. But other than that, yeah, doing, feeling well, doing good. Well, I tell you what, we are back with a loaded episode for you guys to start the year I did uh, intentionally plan on taking the first couple of weeks of January off to focus on work and trying to get it to a point to where I didn't have to dedicate so much overtime to it, um, and that kind of took longer than I expected, but work is in a fabulous spot right now. It is kind of stress-free on me, which hopefully will lend itself to allow me to have more time for hobbies and such, like this podcast. So here we are. Um, we do have a conversation on the back end with Art Middlecoff. If you've looked at the description of the podcast, that's probably the first time you've encountered that name, but he is a great person to kind of give you an idea of what the game has been like over the course of its tenure while it's been out because he came into the game early on, stepped away, came back when his first son became of age for playing this type of game put it away again and now his youngest son has pulled him back in so he's seen it from the early days came back in 2010 came back in 2022 so we had a great conversation with him or I did I guess Brad was not involved I I went solo on that um, and then we kind of talked about the uh, spirituality of the game and kind of honoring the source material and all of that so we've got that to look forward to and before we do that you know how we do it here at the podcast. We're going to go over some recent news and talk about some videos that, you know, most of the time we haven't seen and all that. <laughs> you know how it is. But I would be remiss if I did not take this opportunity to uh, let you all know how insufferable I am going to be for the people in my life for the next two weeks. Because <laughs> if you did not get a chance to see it, the Detroit Lions were up 24-7. to 7. They were waving goodbye to our fans on our home field. But in the end, the 49ers pulled it out. And we're going to the Super Bowl, baby. Yes, the 49ers in the Super Bowl. 
and there is nothing sweeter than getting to watch your team play in the Super Bowl. Now, I've gotten to see it twice in the last, uh, what is that, like 12 years, going back to 2012. Uh, we were there, and then 2019, both of those were losses. So the losses are pretty devastating. So I'm on an emotional high now, but Brad, you know it can it can go off the rails. So you get happy, John, for two weeks, and then you either get happy, John, for a year or you get sad john for quite a while so <laughs> i'm not sure there's much in between i will be rooting for the 49ers for those reasons <laughs> yeah if you guys want podcast episodes you you will be rooting for the 49ers as well <laughs> but i am excited about that i've got a lot of uh positive vibes from that and i'm going to channel them into having a great episode here for you guys saying that um, I guess there's some people out there that might might not like sports talk that we do here on the podcast, but in addition to the high that I have for the 49ers going to the Super Bowl, since the last time this podcast was out, we uh, we had a bad showing in the college football playoff. Hmm. We didn't we didn't do that great, and now we've lost Coach Nick Saban, and we've got hmm. Kalen DeBoer as the replacement. So it's a good replacement, but there's 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 definitely some change in the air here in our uh, our local town. So I'm really hoping that the the emotional high of that Super Bowl can kind of help, you know, soften the blow of Nick Saban's you know kind of out of thin air retirement. Um, maybe not out of thin air for him and the Alabama officials that knew it was coming, but. Just if you get a moment, just say a little prayer for the people down here in Alabama. We're we're going through some things right now, <laughs> right, Brad? We're going through them. Listen, for those of you who are not very much in the sports, this is a thing. There is a state of mourning over the state of Alabama, or half the state of Alabama, rather. The, the Auburn side of Alabama is, you know, they couldn't be happier. Yeah. So, just take it a little easy on us while we recover but i guess with that we'll get right into uh some redemption talk i know that we just recently wrapped up a nike grand prix and we're getting ready to to start another one so i'll go ahead and let you brad tell us how how was your last experience in the lackey grand prix um i had a lot of fun uh i really like the cards that are out now the new cards um experiment with them I feel like this Lackey Grand Prix was a great opportunity to experiment with a lot of different cards. You know, I mean, for me, every game I'm switching cards out, you know, just check them out or whatever. And so I had a good time. I had one really bad game. Um, I think it was against Gilball, maybe, where it was just both me and him were both just like, this is the worst game I've ever played. <laughs> like, it was boring. It was awful. Um, he beat me, but like, it was just. It was bad, but it, was it um, a timeout game? It probably, I think it was. Um, it was a timeout game. I, okay, so I, I went in with indentured servants for like four turns in a row. That was my only hero. Ouch! Um, <laughs> and he was negated. I think the whole time by woes. It was. It, I, I'm telling you, I, it was awful. Um, but uh, I did turn it around a little bit. I didn't realize that I was still in the runnings the last week. Because uh, I was in like tenth place, tenth or eleventh place, um, but I played my game early, 
and uh and ended up winning and um i think uh the final results i ended up in like fifth and i was like wait what i was like so close to being in the top four i didn't even know it you know it was Man. one of them things but it was just the way that the lacquer grand prix went i think everybody's experimenting a little bit so nobody's like putting their nationals deck out or anything but it was fun it's nice to to feel like at this point nobody knows what their nationals deck is unless mm-hmm. you're a huge fan of honeypot or Gandalf or whatever the deck's called, the version that uh, you might be running, those of you out there that are are set on that. And it's kind of, you know, we were just talking before we started recording about that deck a little bit, but if you're not set on that deck, then I think everyone else is kind of in that kind of trying to figure it out mode. GOC stuff is still really good. Disciples is still really good. I guess our disciples are still really good. Since disciples are multiple, even though I was using the subject as the deck, and the deck is singular, it's a disciples deck. But my grammar police out there, I just want to, I don't want to take it, okay? Um, disciples are still really good. I think you have um, the GOC good stuff deck, you know, the Tomb Raider style stuff is out there. I think wilderness stuff is playable and i think we're really closing in on a true like i don't think you can necessarily play what you want and win nationals but i think we're closing in on you can play whatever you want and place at national or not place at nationals but get in that top eight if we were doing top cut kind of in that top field at nationals to make um top cut so I think in that top eight range, like, I mean, last year I played Patriarchs toss and got eighth place. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a good player or anything, but I'm just saying I played some just random deck that I threw together from memory the night before, like you're not supposed to do. Um, and if I can do it, then other people can do it. And now these cards that have come out, it seems like it's kind of closed that gap a little more to where cards are. Every deck has enough good stuff that it can put its best foot forward and be competitive, and it's really cool to see. And that Lucky Grand Prix, I think, bared it out. My experience in that was I was not anywhere near the top, <laughs> but uh, I ended up playing a couple of different different style decks. I think the the coolest deck that I think I saw was Justin Alstead's deck, and I think that his deck, using 20 shekels to look at your hand, be able to play part-time Moses, part-time because of Moses, you know, it's because of Moses for you, but I'll bounce him on my turn, do what I need to, and then put him back down that style. Mm -hmm. And also having the turbo play to get to herdsman to answer the Matthew. And that's a deck that I think really is built to answer what Justin has decided is the current meta right now. It'd be interesting to see how that evolves and changes. You know, if he keeps playing that, as more uh, decks are tested and, and vetted out. But I think the field was really strong. Um, I think you could play whatever you want and feel like you had a chance to win most games. Yeah, and he obviously had a pretty good grasp on the meta because he ended up winning. <laughs> so, yeah, that, um, that is important. But <laughs> And I wonder, I kind of wonder if he changed his deck depending on who he played or if he kind of kept the same kind of style throughout. Yeah, that's that's the good thing. That's the thing I love probably the most about Lackey Grand Prix is you can play one deck one week and completely change the next week, or try to match up against who you think you know what you think their opponent may play. So, yeah, 
definitely congratulations are in order for Justin. Let's see if I can find the. There we go. Woo! You got it, big, big dog. For the guardian himself, Justin Allstead. That's your clap here from the podcast. You're our first clap award winner from 2024 on the podcast. And I guess, Rob, you did pretty good. You came in second. You know, if you had played the Patriarchs deck, maybe you would have won. Mm-hmm. He chose to play his Disciples deck. <laughs> Should have gone Patriarchs. I, I really don't know how that would have played out any yeah. different. <laughs> anyway, as we mentioned, um, the Lackey Grand Prix, the the new one is getting ready to get started. When's that going to get started? Do you know offhand? Uh, February 1st, from what I, if I remember right. Okay, so. It's the first week. The, yep. So that that's coming up right around the corner. So if you've signed up for that, make sure you get your games in. It's always better when games are played. I say that living in a glass house and throwing rocks. I know. I'm just saying it's better when you can get the games in. Because um, it's different when you see your name at the bottom and you earned your spot there. But then when you're at the bottom because you didn't and you're like, man, I wouldn't be that low if I'd actually played those games. So, so if you can get the games in, get the games in. <laughs> there is a little bit of a up in the air kind of thing right now with this one. Um, oh. It still to this point has not been decided if this is going to be a rotation or a scrutes. So, and this is a uh, January 29th. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that the Lackey Grand Prix should be like the current running Grand Prix because I think the community has has shown that it's something that they want and they like it as a staple for the competitive and you know testing ground for getting decks ready to play in actual tournaments even though this is an unofficial tournament so i think the lackey grand prix for the most part should always be rotation so that you can work on getting ready for tournaments and if there is a tournament like classic weekend coming up where you want to have something it almost feels like that needs to be an extra like an addendum mm-hmm. to the actual Lackey Grand Prix. You like know, I know that there Prix. was a suggestion to where both players could decide, hey, we're going to play Scroots this round, and you could play that. You could do something like that, or you could just have a separate smaller, because I think there would be smaller or lower participation, and just have that run as a secondary Lackey Grand Prix alongside it. But I don't think making players that want to play rotation choose to either play something they don't really care about potentially or you know if they're not going to mr classic it doesn't really benefit them or lose out on the opportunity to play that's a tough position to put players in Uh, now i am not in leadership over the lacking grand prix at all i'm just giving my thoughts and opinion you know somebody somebody let me get a mic somebody let me get this soundboard and i just all I've got to give you is my opinion, dog. That's that's it, <laughs> and that's just that's the way that's the way I see it from down here. I'm just a redneck in the sticks of Alabama, but that's the way I see it. Yeah, and of course we got the Zoom in Invitational going as well it's in week three. So, but neither one of us are in it, so I don't yeah. really know how it's going. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna have to have to find a way to to sign up for one of those coming up soon. I really enjoy. Uh, the opportunities provided to us, even though I don't get to take advantage of them as much due to scheduling and things and just feeling like I feels bad when I can't get a game in. 
mm-hmm. um, because I just can't for whatever reason. But I definitely love having the opportunities afforded to us from both of those unofficial tournaments that really help us define and figure out what the meta is going to be and carve out decks to get ready for actual, you know, tournaments that do matter on the rankings and things. So as we always say here at the podcast, we want to thank Jay Chambers for the initial idea of that. I know Chad France has been helping run those recently. So thanks to those guys for making the Lackey Grand Prix happen. And then Rob M from uh, Rob M Studios making the uh, Zoom Discord Invitational happen. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. It is awesome to have it. Now, I guess we also like to talk about videos here, and I mentioned earlier that sometimes we don't see the videos. I have not seen the Tyler Talks video, but he's got a video called Let's Move This Battle to the Side. I heard a rumor that you watched this video. I watched it, and and actually it was probably one of my favorites that he's put out. Um, really? Yeah, mainly because... Uh, because was, you watched it? <laughs> I've watched a few, um, but he's, he was playing a lot of the cards that I've been playing over the tournament, a lot of white white on offense, brown on defense, and he added an extra wrinkle to it with the side battles, and it got me thinking about some other things that I could try in maybe this next tournament to add. Like That's the thing about uh, the last Tyler Talks video I watched, he had uh, Moses Friend of God uh, instead of the new Moses. And um, with the CBN enhancements, and I was like, "Oh, that's a good idea. Let me let me do a big band and chain with that, you know." And so um, I tried that for a while, and uh, that was fun, but I, I wasn't super successful with it. But <laughs> it was still <laughs> the idea of it was fun. Um, but this one, I I really want to try out too, and just kind of see how it goes. So I guess that's a a resounding recommendation for you all to watch it from our co-host here, Brad, at the podcast. So make sure you go and find this video, watch it, and then tell me, give me the cliff notes on what it is. <laughs> if you want to beat me in the Lackey Grand Prix, watch that video. <laughs> I will circle around and watch it. Um, now, Redemption with Jaden, he put out last week a gameplay from the Thomas J. Chambers Memorial Tournament that happened in December. And he finally got some footage out, and he wanted to do commentary on it, so I helped him out there. And uh, there's commentary, and that was last video for him. And it's also another round of that tournament is his next video coming up this week. So, and that will be the final round at the top table where Jay Chambers played Mr. John Early. And you might know how the game turned out, but. You don't know how it necessarily happened and unfolded because I, I'm just going to say Jay was up against the ropes and he 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 had to put a move on. I'm just saying it's a, it's a good it's a good game to watch and see how you know we always give Jay a lot of a lot of uh, hazing here at the podcast. Well, okay, we give him a little bit of hazing, maybe not a lot, but. <laughs> Um, this was a good a good showing for him, seeing him be put in a tough situation and never panic and just you know play his way through it. So definitely check that out when it comes out on Thursday. Yeah, uh, I look forward to having a video on Thursday. Thursday's a great day just to have a video out. So usually try to yeah. catch those then. Now there is another video source that I want to uh, spotlight, and I want to tell you about someone 
who I have no idea why his I have no idea why his channel's called this. I don't know anything about it except for that he's recently joined the community. And his name is Baboony Tim. And if you go to his channel, you will see several videos. He's got 35 subscribers. So I'm going to tell you guys to go to his channel, watch his footage, or his, uh, not footage, it's not from a, a live tournament, but watch his uh, videos. And he overlays them with illustrations and things and uh, kind of makes it easy to follow on some of his deck tech videos and things. But he has 35 subscribers as of now when we're recording this. I'm telling you all to go check it out. If you go and watch one or two videos, you're going to like them. You're going to naturally want to subscribe to this channel. So he's got 35 subscribers. By the time that this podcast is out and you all listen to it, we should be able to double that for this guy. Because these videos are awesome. Um, I, I told Brad that I feel like these videos are done in a way that my son, who is 10 years old, could follow along. And even though he likes Jaden and he likes uh, sometimes watching at the Redemption with Jaden videos, it's not always easy for him to follow the gameplay because it's on lackey and the cards are not super uh, clear on what's happening as it's happening um, unless there is talk that is talking it out but these illustrations on these videos from baboonie tim are pretty awesome um and kind of help you follow along how they're going and he's also a player that um is kind of cataloging his journey to nationals 2024 and his uh i guess learning curve with the game so it's kind of something cool to follow along with so definitely go and check those out i checked with brad Brad hadn't seen them yet either, so you got some homework to do. You always like to give out homework. I'm giving you homework. <laughs> I'll take that. I actually subscribed right before the podcast because he sent me to the, the correct link there. So just make sure when you type it in, it's all like one word, Baboonie Tim, because the uh, first time I typed it in, I couldn't find it. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, make sure you type it in the right way. Never know what might come up otherwise on YouTube, but I definitely think that his videos are pretty pretty good quality and wanted to give a shout out to it because I think more people should be using those and seeing those. When he does those deck tech videos on different archetype decks, uh, because there's one on Patriarchs, and you best believe I watched the thing, and for someone new to the game to have picked up that much incredible detail on a deck strategy in such a short amount of time to where then they can, you know, present it to other people in such an educated way. I mean, he's got a good grasp of the game and, and that's evident through his videos and they're pretty well done. So go and check those out. Now that we've talked about the recent unofficial tournaments and now uh, videos, we can get into some actual official sanctioned tournaments that are coming up. And one of those is... Mr. Classic, which I guess Mr. Classic portion of it probably isn't sanctioned, but Classic Weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee. So it's going to be at the same place, Meridian Baptist Church, March 1st and 2nd, and it will be hosted by, I guess, the Chamber Brother, because Jay said that he would not be able to make it, unfortunately. Jeremy will be there, but Jeremy's going to be a little bit busy. Because as you know, Mr. Classic is going to pit eight high-quality players to joust and fight over 
one singular title belt to be crowned the 2024 Mr. Classic. Mm. Now, 2023 was the debut of the Mr. Classic Championship, and that was won by our boy Jaden Alstead. So he's had that belt for coming up on a year now, but he's going to have to come back to Knoxville, Tennessee, and lay it on the line against seven fierce competitors and see if he truly is still Mr. Classic. Now, if that doesn't make the skin on your forearms crawl and get you excited and ready to see this, I don't know what does. Are we taking Jaden or the field? Man, you know what? (laughs) Seven versus one, basically. Yeah, but it's not just seven. Let let me rattle off some names yeah, to let you. Let me hear okay? these names again. I, I need a refresher. Okay. The number one seed. Number one. Obviously. Uh, let's start with eight. Defending no, champ. Yeah, let's start with one. You're right. Defending champ, Jaden Austin, mm-hmm. stands alone, head and shoulders above, but for how long? Because the number two seed is the two-time back-to-back reigning type two two-player national champion, a chicken farmer from Alabama, Mr. Jeremy Chambers. So that's why I don't know how he's going to be doing on the hosting side because he's vying for the title belt that he designed. Think about it. Two years ago, he goes onto a website. He comes up with a design. He produces a title belt for something that is in its inception at that point. It's a thought. It hasn't become reality he designs this title belt and he has to sit out the first year because how bad would it look to try to win your own title for something you create the first year Mm. so he gave it room and space if you love something you let it go right and if it loves you back it'll come back so does the title (laughs) love him back (laughs) dude i'm in i'm in ready i'm ready for (laughs) for for it (laughs) so Two-time <laughs> champ, type two, reigning, defending national champ Jeremy Chambers in the second seed. And the third seed will be one of two. It will be a Marshall brother. We don't know if it will be Nick or Luke, but we're hoping for Nick as he has earned it as the type one two-player national champion. So you've got first seed is Jaden, second seed is Jeremy Chambers, Third seed, possibly Nick Marshall. That's a good field already, right? That's pretty that's good. pretty good. All right, let me tell you about number four. Number four is a man who talks about analytics and numbers so much that you would think he was on like a CSI episode helping solve crimes. I mean, his mind moves a little bit faster than than some people. Um, but he's always got 11 ways to a hero, and that's that's important, 11 ways to a hero. And we're talking about Mr. Josh Potratz, a former national champ in Type 1. I believe he's also won booster and sealed, but he is earning a legacy invite, and he is the fourth seed. The fifth seed, and your defending Lackey Grand Prix champion, mm-hmm. And the runner-up from last year's Mr. Classic and brother to the man himself, Jaden Allstead. He is the guardian. 
and Justin Allstead is the fifth seed. So let me let me start again. You've got Jaden Allstead. You've got Jeremy Chambers. You've got Nick Marshall. You've got Josh Potratz. And you've got Justin Allstead. And then in sixth place, and we saw this play out last year. Sixth seed. Mr. Underdog. Yeah, sixth seed. I'm sorry, not sixth place. Sixth <laughs> seed. The winner of the scroll around the block. Last year was Mark Valake who went on to knock out the number one seed, John Early. John Early's not on this list anymore because <laughs> he's still recovering. Man, <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen now with this year's scroll around the block winner, Mr. Snake Eyes himself, Charles Johnson? Hmm. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that the last person that was in that spot took down one of the greatest redemption players of all time and did so convincingly that he's not even invited back. So he's going to be paired up with Nick or Luke, right? Marshall. Yes, if they First round. if they do it the right way. No, Jay's a little iffy sometimes on doing seating. I don't know how much involved he's going to be since he's not there. Um, but that's right. Now, number seven, the seventh seed, is a player's choice poll winner. Yet to be decided. Hmm. Could be you. Number eight. Could be me. It, <laughs> Uh, I don't think people want to see me play this. Uh, not me either. <laughs> the eighth seed, second chance poll winner. What does that mean? That means a second chance for a player who played in last year's Mr. Classic that otherwise has not already been invited back. So that gives you Ron Sias, Jay Chambers, which Jay's not going, so not Jay, Brian Jones. Uh, maybe John Early, but I can tell you, I know who that's going to be because it is now official. We have tallied it up and the winner of the second chance poll, which they had to go out and recruit their own vote. So if you don't know anything about it, then that means they didn't care enough to approach you to try to get your vote. But I know one man that was on the campaign trail and he's not Donald Trump. He's, he's pretty close though. He's pretty close. His name's Booster Jones, and Booster Jones is the eighth seed. How, how should I and feel? And he will be paired with Jaden Allstead. <laughs> Oof. So Booster Jones is back in the field, my boy Brian Jones. And you never know what can shake out, but he's got a tough task going up against Mr. Classic himself. That's that's pretty good. I like the matchups there. I'm trying to figure out how I should feel because nobody lobbied for my vote. So, like, I just feel like, I don't know, but I'm glad he got in. Either. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, he would have been pretty insufferable had he not, and he was there at Mr. Class. He'd be like, dude, I would have taken him down. <laughs> if they had let me in, I would have beat him. I would have beat him. And now it's time to put up. Mm. Brian Jones is in it. Booster Jones. It's not sealed, and it's not Booster. It's Scroots, baby. Are you able to formulate a deck to beat the odds so it, and take down Mr. Classic? Is it Scroots this year? It is Scroots. It is Roots plus hmm. Classic. That's our scrolls. I mean, so Scroots. I like that. I didn't. I didn't realize that they had changed it from last yeah. year. So regarding Mr. Classic, though, and Mr. Classic, I guess we should clarify because last year we called this whole thing Mr. Classic. 
to where people called the weekend event Mr. Classic. But Mr. Classic is one part of the bigger whole that is Classic Weekend, where it's all about playing the classic redemption cards, the cards that forge the path of what redemption is today. Man, I am in a, I am in rare form talking about like I'm ready to cut the promo for this year's Mr. Classic right now, which I will be trying to find a way to uh, bring back the you know the awesome Mr. Classic. It would be that pretty thing. awesome if we did a promo video. Yes, but I'm not the video <laughs> type guy. I, dude, I can pull up a message from three years ago to Jaden. Right, I think three years ago, maybe two, and it's where I told Jaden that we needed to find a way to do like first thing at nationals when they open, like before the first event opens, like or like the night before, have like an intro video, like a ceremony. Maybe I didn't tell him the ceremony thing, but like, uh, you know, like they have the, like the opening ceremony of events or even if you go to like a sales conference, that's like three week or three days long. The first event, like they open it with this hype video, man, we really need some kind of hype video. We got to fire up. You know what? Here comes that hype train. We, we got to get it going, man. <laughs> But I'm not the video editor type, so I like I've done a few video type things with the podcast, but they've all been like me going beyond any type of skill that I have. And I don't. It's not that I couldn't develop those skills. I just have never done video stuff. Yeah. So I'm willing to like try stuff, but I I wouldn't even know where to begin on most things. But I'm definitely on board with that. I'll give like voiceover. I'll I'll do I'll do whatever I could to to some kind of video like that. That would be awesome. So when would be the ideal time to release a hype video for nationals? Uh, what time I think of the you year? would do the first one. I think you would do the first one right now, so that oh, people so can multiple. can get the yeah. So people can get the dates, the location, and start working on like carving out that time from work and you know away from family so that they can attend, and then as it gets closer. And you keep adding more details and you keep diving deeper into these promo videos. And I think maybe like uh, two or three different videos leading up to national. So like one now, one in a couple months, like around, I don't know, end of March, April, and then one over the summer in like June, end of June, July, you know, to where you're like in 35 days, nationals. I don't know. Something like that. But I will I will find a way to do a Mr. Classic promo like I did last year and build up the hype there. Now, this is where I need the community's opinion. I know that people liked it last year, but I don't know if it was like we liked it because it was the first time type thing or if it's something we would like again. Do you want a super long episode of the podcast with eight different interviews again? It took my voice out last time. I'm willing to do that for you guys if you want it. Do you guys want to hear an interview from every participant in Mr. Classic? And this year, I will be going hard for getting some trash talking in there, trying to get them to start, you know, feeling confident to where then they start talking maybe slightly, slightly down about the competition that they are going to face. We want to do it in a positive way. We want to talk a little trash, right? We want our... We want our Mr. Classic to have a little attitude, okay, Jaden? 
you know, a little bit of attitude. Is that so I don't know wrong? If I've heard, uh, I don't know if I've heard Jaden trash talk anybody yet. But. No, if he does, he laughs really quickly and says, oh, my bad. We got to get the oh, my bad. No, let it stand. Get let in the stand. ring. Speak your mind because Stone Cold said so. You know what I mean? He, I think he, um, he, he more trash talks uh, in in a, a slight way, like while he's playing, he's like, "Oh, you sure you want to do that? Are you why, why'd you why'd you play that card? <laughs> Shouldn't you have waited for that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think Mister Classic's gonna be fun, and I think the whole weekend's gonna be fun. I think last year I was so like amped and pumped up for Mister Classic that when it was over. The rest of the weekend kind of, it seemed like it was there and happening, and I had emotionally and mentally checked out. So I'm going to be more prepared this year for it being a solid two-day event. That's my bad for, you know, expecting it to just be one big thing last year. But I definitely enjoyed it last year. Anybody that comes, even though you might not like the old classic cards, you should come. Last year, we got to see Chris Fashman play an entire deck built around the new set before spoilers were even out. So I'm just, we haven't seen spoilers for the new set yet. Maybe, maybe Chris messes up and plays the wrong deck again. Now, talking about that hype train and firing that bad boy up, do you know what is happening August? August 1st through the 3rd? Do you know, Mr.? Mr. Brad. I mean, I, I probably have some guesses, but what is happening August 1st? That's, that's very like specific dates. That here, is the 30th hmm. Redemption National Tournament. The 30th. We were just babies. We were just babies. The 30th. That's impressive. You know what's crazy is when we got involved in the game... Do you remember they had just like Derek had just came out with that your turn games redemption twenty five playmat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bro, it's the thirtieth tournament at Nationals. It's crazy to think we've been in here five years. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like I feel like I just started this <laughs> like <laughs> We still don't know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> we will never know the rules. But seriously, though, like, dude, Redemption is such an awesome game, and I think it's in such a good spot. I think, honestly, if I, if I could step back and, and just observe from the outside and give give a thought or an expectation, and people might, might be able to prove me wrong at the end of it, but I'm telling you that I'm going into this tournament season, and I think that Redemption is poised for the greatest tournament season that it's ever experienced and that's not just like i'm not just saying that for like hype and you know just everybody's always saying big things but i think the gameplay is in such a good spot right now for new players players to come in you can see on discord there's people joining all the time coming back to the game there's new players coming in it's exciting it feels fresh it feels balanced it feels like Everything's there. We just had the fundraiser. We've got roots going in more booster sets as time passes by and they have to get reprinted. Eventually, they're going to be in all of the rotation booster sets to where then our uh, expansion sets and in booster boxes. But eventually, we'll get to a point to where 
and I don't know if that's going to happen this tournament season, but we're going to get to a point to where Roots is all of the filler in all the packs to where Booster Draft is a... Booster Draft is going to be something that I look forward to. I yeah. play it currently and in, in its current form and in its previous form, but I don't think I've ever looked forward to Booster Draft. And now you, you're you're fixing that that issue there with, you know, the crowdsourced or, or community-sourced fundraiser that paid for Roots to be printed. We're getting packaging to put cards in stores so that it can be accessed and experienced by people outside of, you know, established players or players that know to go to Cactus or one of the retailers to actually put it into physical stores or to put it online in marketplaces like Amazon if it's got that accurate UPC code instead of being repacked in Disciples Packs. But you've got that, and it's just, it feels like there's a fresh, um, it, it, it just, it feels fresh. It doesn't feel like there's anything stagnant. It's not like the bad deck from last year is like the boogeyman that had to be fixed with some major rule change. And it's just, I think we're headed into the best tournament season that Redemption's ever had. I think there's going to be more state tournaments than there, there's ever been. I think there's going to be more more participation at regional tournaments. I think there's going to be more people that go to multiple state tournaments and multiple regional tournaments than there ever has been. I think people are willing to travel farther for tournaments more than they've ever been. Heck, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you, but I mean, we were. If it wasn't for uh, uh, a band of winter storms, I would say severe, but maybe not severe to people that experience them but severe to the south here. I was going to rent a vehicle, drive up to Tennessee. Tyler was driving over from South Carolina where he moved to. We were going to go up to Jackson, Kentucky, and then go all the way to Moravia, New York, for a scroll-around-the-block tournament. Like, I hate classic cards, personally. I don't like them. I don't have the nostalgia that other people have for them. I am 100% on rotation legal cards, I don't care to ever play a classic card again in my life. But I was going to do that because I just I enjoy being around the game. And that's a crazy travel for an unofficial tournament, basically. I mean, there was maybe going to be some official categories, but the main draw is the Scroots thing. And you were going to get a contingent from the southeast uh, and east central play, uh, play areas to go up. That's... That's pretty unique. That's pretty cool. You just had the Thomas J. Chambers Memorial Tournament to where, and obviously there's a there's a certain element tied to that with it, you know, being in support of Jay and his family through a uh, emotional time for them. But you see all the travel that happened for that. I mean, redemption players are are eager for just the fun of the game. And I think we're in such a good spot for that. I'll get off the soapbox now because, I mean, I feel like it, it sounds like somebody paid me to say all this stuff, but they didn't. I'm just, I'm that excited about the game in its current state. Yeah, and I'll just uh, hopefully quickly just say, like, honestly, I I really like where the game's at right now. I Over the last couple of years, I could say that I was really getting disinterested. I kind of had some fatigue in the game because – there was just so many like busted combos and like it like with uh you know you had love uh where it gets rid of your whole hand love at first sight love at first sight 
deck. You had the Ephesian Widow come out. You had Sowing Bountifully that would get rid of like all your evil cards in your deck. Um, you had these these cards that would just wipe out your hand. You couldn't play anything. Uh, you had um, Territory Class Enhancements that so people would just play enhancement after enhancement after enhancement. They could set up their... They would go through 30, 40 cards on the first turn. You'd just be sitting there. And I, I got to the point where I was just like, that's, that's why um, uh, last year, whenever uh, I, th- I think I played one tournament, maybe, and just a couple of flacky games, you know, before Nationals. And I didn't even have a deck built for Nationals, you know, kind of like typical Alabama people here. We gotta, we really gotta throw that reputation down. <laughs> I know, like, and and I didn't have any of the new cards. I mean, I I was so like, just kind of like, I liked it the game, but I I was kind of like, man, I just I don't like I don't like where it's at. Yeah. But since then, I think we have done a complete one eighty. Uh, we've gotten rid of the problem cards or the problem. You know, you got the four activation rule. You got the one territory class per turn. Um, you got uh, all these cards coming in from IR and Roots and the new uh, starter decks that kind of helped level out the, the the power level of GOC and counteract it some. And um, I, I, I just, I'm with you. I think there's a lot of different variety of decks that can win. I think a lot of different strategies. Like, I feel like we're at a point where different decks uh, match up well against other decks and are, don't match up as well against others. So there's a little bit more balance rock, there. Rock, paper, scissors decks. It's, yeah, rock, paper, scissors, essentially. Um, so I'll, I have I had a lot of fun this this Lackey Grand Prix, you know, um, just trying out new stuff. And uh, I like the, I really like the IR stuff. I didn't at first when I first saw it come out, but now that I'm starting playing it's with cause, it. It was because of the borders. Once you got past the borders, the cards. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that probably has something to do with it. I mean, although, take a little bit of a, a, a jab at, you know, leadership for those cards coming out like that. I know that it was not intended, but it was a, a an oversight in the process. But I would much rather the oversights in the process be that, you know, the cards came with a little bit bigger border than they're supposed to. Versus the previous sets where we've had cards come out that their abilities were, you know, there's an interaction that was an oversight to where as soon as the set came out, there was like some interaction found to where you have to, you have to do something to change some card or Mm -hmm. implement some rule. We just had a set release and I don't know how many people have realized it, but it's been out since nationals. IR. It's been out since, since nationals. You also had roots come out on top of that. Where's the card that's broken? Yeah. Where's the card? I agree. Where's the card that creates the interaction that has to be stopped right now with a rule change or with, you know, some different interpretation of the rules or we have to ban a card? There hasn't been one. So if the oversight that we got was a little bit wider bordered than we're supposed to, I'll take that for a cleaner game experience. Now, yeah. The the hope is that it's a one off and we never see you know the fat white borders again. But if that's the trade off for this set and roots coming in, which when you put the size of those two sets together, it's like getting GOC back. But where's the problem card? I'm I'm just saying like I if you focus on the positives of that, it seems like the the set came out in a more balanced way to where we don't have that 
interaction that's created with some old card. I mean, and I'm not counting the honeypot deck with the Eliezer or whatever priest that makes things CBN. Like that's that makes a difficult deck that you have to be able to build your deck to beat. That doesn't make an impenetrable deck. Mm-mm. So I'm glad you said something like that too, because I feel like. Um, the cards have been cleaned up in such a way that there aren't those like broken, broken interactions. But at the same time, the high level players are going to find combos that swing the the game in their direction, which I think is healthy. You, if if you can find something that's not busted but just catches your opponent off guard, like the honeypot kind of thing, it's not broken. It's just if you've never seen it and you get hit with it. It's like, oh wow! I mean, <laughs> you know, like great strategy. You know, um, yeah. obviously you can tech against it easily, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for that because I think that's you don't want every deck just to be like lame and just like, oh, well, I know what he's going to play because he's playing these cards. Like, no, I mean, there's some things you can throw in there and catch people off guard. So, yeah, but as it as it relates to nationals, though, I think we're going to have such a fun competitive tournament season and it's, it's going to start with kicking off with yeah. you know the classic weekend in knoxville march 1st through 2nd we're going to find out who mr classic is it's time for you know Jaden to bring that title show up and maybe he's the back-to-back mr classic maybe somebody sneaks up and you know takes it from him maybe charles johnson walks away with it who knows it's completely up in the air so that's exciting and then you also have the rest of the games that weekend focusing on the classic cards, uh, paying homage to where, you know, the game went through to get us to this point. But then we're going to have states, regionals, and I, I do think that we're going to experience more of those tournaments and more participation at those tournaments than we've ever had. And I think 2024 Nationals, I'm, I'm putting a lot of faith in Jay as the host. <laughs> I'm putting a lot of faith in him. I don't want to uh I don't want him to think that I'm putting extra weight on his shoulders, but I really do think that he's got the opportunity to host him and Ron Sias to host the greatest nationals this game's ever seen. And I at this point I think I'd be disappointed if we aren't having the greatest nationals of all time this year because of just how fresh the game feels, how reinvigorated a lot of players that have become dormant have become like you talk about last year wasn't super exciting for you and now you're excited to try new deck strategies and new things because you don't feel like you're painted into a box and you got to play one of two or three decks to have a chance that's all fun for the game now in addition to that and all that excitement we're getting new promos so it's already been announced there's two new winner promos and keep in mind, the winner promos that we got last year were we got David's Heart, which is a, I mean, that's a card that is very, very played right now. I was kicking myself in the tournament for not playing that card today. Yeah. David's Heart, and you also have Michael, Chief Prince, another highly played card. Maybe not as much as David's Heart, but those are two powerful cards in the game that came by way of tournament winner promos from last year and now we're getting two more and those were two brand new card abilities so we can assume that we might see 
two more brand new card abilities versus just no, you know, like promo version reprints. So we got two new tournament promos. We also have a spring uh, seasonal promo. And then we have a summer seasonal promo. Seasonal promo last year, uh, I believe one of them was a son of God. It was the one that originally, it was supposed to be the uh, the full color border with the greenish color. And I think they came out with the white border at first. But anyway, switched over to the other. And then I believe we also got, at one point, Saul of Tarsus. I believe that was a seasonal promo. So we had that. And then we talked about experiencing a strong state and regional tournament participation through the year. We obviously have the state and regional promos. And I also would like to say that if they've sent the promos in for this stuff all the way to the state and regional, they probably already have a decent idea what the national promos are going to be. So I don't really have much of a stab on what any of these promos are. But I would like to vocalize a hope. I would love to see the way that they did Son of God last year. I'd love to see an angel of the Lord or a Christian martyr. You know, those kind of staple doms that didn't have an ability on it. Similar. So you get the full art ability or textless Son of God. You'd have a textless angel of the Lord. I think that'd be pretty dope would be so you got any you know gut feeling of what we might see as a a new promo this year uh man i don't even i don't even have like a guess uh this that would not be my area of expertise and i'm looking i'm actually looking at the promos right now um some of the ones that's come out and you got like magic charms was a regional promo and angel of god was a national promo uh you got uh uh, tribute and Raiders camp that just came out. Oh, uh, last year for the state tournament you had Malak, which goes well with the Patriarchs and Sons of Jacob. Mm-hmm. So that and Magic Charms. I haven't seen Magic Magic Charms get played too much, but it seems like the promos are super playable cards and super relevant cards now. Yeah, but. See, I'm naming like Bartimaeus and Pontius Pilate. I would have never guessed those, you know, or Michael Chief Prince, you know, like so. I just, I kind of like, man, I don't. Who knows? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's probably gonna. It, it may be a new card, you know. I mean, I'm I'm hoping for new cards on some of these. Now there there have been some promos that they've showed like artwork, like Gabe shared artwork for like there's that Elijah dropping his. Uh, mantle his cloak um you know the different artwork where he's in the chariot um there was a uh special artwork version of jonah a while back that was shared there's there's a lot of like cool artwork pieces that we've seen that haven't been printed that are maybe an option for national promos because national promos tend to be things that are already available and they just get you know a facelift and you know a, a promo version a national promo version of existing cards versus a new card because i think they want to keep those from being like exclusive cards because you don't want to have people feel like they have to 
pay a high price to get a competitive card. So I think that's the right way to do it. So you're more than likely going to see the uh, the lower level tournaments, participation promos and stuff be the new cards. And national promo, you know, like Angel of God was a new card. Humble Seeker was a new card. That type of thing. Um, uh, what was the one? Nicodemus. That was the one from Iowa Nationals. So you, you can see new cards in that participation, but usually the other ones are going to be reprints. Um, which I, again, I think is the right way to do it, but man, this is going to be a long episode, bro. (laughs) We're we're up there and we got that long conversation on the back end. You guys, it was such a fun uh, time sitting down and talking to art. And I hope you guys enjoy that as much as I enjoyed, you know, getting to, to listen to him talk so passionately about this game and, you know, how it's affected him and, and his uh, relationship with his boys learning to play the game together and kind of just touching the game of redemption at different stages through his life. Um, that's cool. You know, like we've, we've said a lot of things to be excited about right now. It's, it's the first episode of the podcast for the new year. I'm super excited. Like I am ready to, I am ready to put together some really good episodes for you guys, especially as we, you know, build up to, classic weekend in Knoxville I had such a fun time with it last year doing the the interviews leading up to it and if you guys are interested in that we can do that again but uh also cutting that promo you know introducing Mr. Classic and all of that and I'm I'm just excited for what this tournament season is going to bring and it all is getting ready to get started as we build towards you know momentum towards classic weekend and we've got seven of the eight participants are known. I'm not sure who that eighth participant's going to be, but man, I just, I'm excited. Are you excited? 49ers are in the Super Bowl too. Bro, bro, like I'm on cloud nine right now. Everything's coming up. Everything's coming up, John, these days. Mm-hmm. The only thing that could have been better is if we could have took out Michigan. I mean... That's the only thing that could have elevated us any higher, I think. If we had an offensive line, we might have done something. (laughs) But I guess we'll get ready to uh, wrap up this portion of the podcast. And in doing so, I would like to let you all know that the podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Covenant Games. And with that, we'll get into the conversation with Art. All right, guys, we are sitting down with Mr. Art Middlecoff, and um, if that name doesn't ring a bell, hopefully you have some uh, clarity on who this person is and what his relationship with the game of redemption is from 20-plus years uh, after this conversation. So, Art, how you doing? I'm doing great, John, and it's really wonderful to be here, and thank you for inviting me to to chat with you. Yep, definitely, and I know that uh, the conversation here that we're we're going to have is kind of brought to you guys as listeners by way of Jay Chambers. So uh, Jay Chambers kind of put this idea, you know, got it started. And this is an episode that uh, I think we've been talking about doing since like August, something like that. And here we are, it's January of the next year at the end of January, and we're finally sitting down and doing it. So... <laughs> But definitely want to thank Jay for the suggestion for the episode here. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, this was Jay. Jay had suggested this. And so I reached out to you, John, saying Jay's got this idea. Yeah, so totally. Appreciate Jay. Shout out to him. Yeah, we give him a, a fair amount of hazing here on the on the podcast. <laughs> but I think anybody that takes the time to get to know him, he he's made of the right stuff. Yes, absolutely. So I guess we'll start with um, you have obviously a long history with the game. So I guess we'll, we'll just kind of let you give us an overview of your time with the game and kind of what it was like when you first started playing and and obviously it's vastly different now but uh what do you remember about that early period and when you got started with the game what drew you into it yeah that's a great question so um so i started um the game probably about 25 years ago so uh so i'm 55 now but when i was 30 and i was married but i had no kids and i was into games and uh i discovered pokemon and that was the time when like Pokemon was just coming onto the scene and it was like, it was crazy how popular it was. And so I got, as a 30 year old, I got caught up into it. But over time, you know, I started to get uncomfortable with, with some of the, some of the themes on the cards and the psychic powers and stuff like that. And I kind of reached this like spiritual like crisis. And I was like, I love this idea of a collectible card game, but I don't like getting into this theme. And somehow I saw an advertisement for redemption. I don't know. It was in a magazine of some sort. Um, and uh, so I, it's hard to imagine seeing an ad in print for redemption nowadays. But <laughs> I, I, I saw that and sent away for the starter decks. And, uh, you know, so for me, it was like I love the idea of a collectible card game, but I wanted to have that align with my faith instead of being um, instead of being like a challenge to my faith, I wanted it to be a su- supportive of my faith. So, um, so it was definitely like a, a conscious choice, and, uh, and it was really exciting to discover that it was not just like a Christian knockoff, but that the game was rich and it had depth, and it had depth both from a spiritual and biblical perspective, but it also had depth as as an actual strategy game and and card game, and so. Um, so that's how I got into it and uh, started to kind of join up with the community. And at that time, Chris Bainey, and maybe many of you have heard of Chris Bainey. Um, he was uh, he was one of the first people I got to know because I was living in Wisconsin at the time. And he was up in Rochester, Minnesota, which is about a five hour drive. And so um, so I kind of learned a lot about the game from him and would drive up there. And um, so that's kind of how I got started with it. Nice. And it seems like the spirit that you found the game is kind of the same spirit that Rob had when he decided to make the game, because I haven't had the you know the opportunity to sit down and talk to him directly about it, but all the accounts that you hear of why Redemption was made, why he wanted to make it as a biblical and Christian-based game is because he wasn't comfortable with some of the themes in Magic the Gathering and, and that yes. type of thing, so he put it out to market with the same spirit that you kind of received it in and it's kind of see kind of cool to see that layer up. Yeah, I mean I I agree with you totally that that was his intention and I fit exactly with the profile of what he was looking for and uh, I'm so thankful that he took that leap of faith um to get that started and uh imagine how many lives that he's touched by doing that. Um you know, probably like what 30 almost 30 years ago because the start game started in 95 so we're almost at a 30 year anniversary so um you know he he made a 
an entrepreneurial faith-based step out and uh, has created a phenomenon. And it's really exciting that he's been able to do that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of name dropped Chris Bainey. And that's that's someone that I think a lot of people now coming to the game. And obviously we talk about you having 20 plus years of experience in the game. You know some of those early people. And then I think the most most of the people playing now, obviously you've got some old heads, we'll call them, that are familiar with some of those. But I think Chris Bainey is one of those that even if you don't know him, like you came into the game and you maybe have never met him, don't know him, the name rings a bell for kind of his impact on, especially the early period of redemption. So how much of a uh, impact do you think he had on you, not just learning the game like you mentioned and, and getting real familiar with it, but kind of making uh, roots that lasted and made you want to keep playing the game? Well, I mean, he was critical. I mean, he was like a kind of a a mentor to help me figure out how to get moving forward with the game. So, you know, it's like you want to, you you know, you want to start tournaments, local tournaments, stuff like that. But it's, you know, there was nobody playing in my area, but it's hard to start that. I mean, I know Cactus Games gives you like a tournament startup kit and all that, but it's still hard to know like what to do. So Chris, you know, helped me out. He didn't just expect me to, to drive up to Rochester. You know, he would come down to Wisconsin and help me, uh, set up my own tournaments and um, show me how to do it. And he would bring his, you know, supporting stuff to help the tournament go well. And so having somebody more experienced to help me kind of get going was really, really valuable. And uh, speaking of people who have been in the game, one of the one of the people who would show up at the, the few tournaments I would host in Wisconsin was Ron Sias. That's, <laughs> so uh, I know. That, that, that's one of those those people that you know he's a he's a stalwart at national, so that's that's one that's got the name recognition. Plus, people usually get a chance to meet him if you show up to national. So that yeah. one that so one he, rings a bell. So he was actually at my local tournament in Wisconsin. You know my tournaments, not just singular, but my tournaments like twenty plus years ago. And uh, so so I got to know Chris Bainey. I mean his wife, his kids. I've been over to his house. Um, you know, he would let me stay over at his place. And so, you know, he taught me, you know, the game and how to kind of move it up to the next level. And so um, he was a really, really valuable influence. I remember, like, I'm into classical music. And I had this idea that at my local tournament, I would play, have like classical music playing. And Chris, Chris was like, Art, let me tell you, like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he said that's not the kind of music you want to have at a tournament so you know stuff like that um it's what a what a mentor can do for you yeah so from the uh the early point you you played the game uh, i think you said you were 30 when you first discovered it and then got involved but you also have seen this game grow and grow simultaneously at the same time that your family has grown you had kids and yes. introduced the the game to them as they got older and I guess their time for redemption came. They got interested in it. So what's it like seeing uh, something that you enjoy that you can kind of pass down and hand down to your kids that I guess reaffirms your faith and it's a hobby, you know, where the, those lines intersect? Yeah. So, I mean, like when I started, you know, I didn't have kids. And so it's a different lifestyle for those of you who don't have kids. Like um, it's like a whole different outlook on life. And so I had so much time for like a hobby. And so it seemed like I had like 
unlimited amount of time to put into redemption. And I felt really good about putting time into it because it was this biblical game. And, uh, and it was like the community was like ready for investment. And uh, so I, you know, I would play games online. I mean, now, you know, there's a lot of ways to play games online. Back in those days, there weren't so many. It was much harder. And you would just, it was almost like text-based. You'd, you'd be sending messages back and forth, no video or anything. And um, so it was really rough. But, but uh, I actually set up an online tournament. I think it might have been like the first or one of the first online tournaments that I hosted. And uh, I set up a website. I called it Redemption Wisconsin, and I uh, had stuff, information there for a while. I think my website hosted like a, like a kind of a frequently asked questions that was like a precursor to the reg that we have today. Um, and so I put like just tons of time into it. And then, you know, in 99, my first child was born. And uh, that just is like a life-changing thing because suddenly, you know, your life can't just revolve around work and hobby. You know, yeah. suddenly you have this life that that you have to take care of. And so, you know, I, I was like thinking, well, at some day, some point, I'd like to have my boy learn how to play Redemption, but it was going to be a way out. You know what I mean? It wasn't going to happen right away. And I was thinking like, how young can he get started? Um, but, um, but, you know, um, I was still I was still kind of focused as it as a thing for myself and um and a couple years into it you know I I felt like I couldn't balance the two you know what I mean like I couldn't balance um being a dad and playing the game so I had to do what uh, you know the the hiatus I had to go on on hiatus at that point and it was about 2003 2004 and I took a break and I said to myself well I'll, I'll come back when my son is old enough to start playing. And so in uh, in 2010, in December of 2010, um, I reached out to Ken Lachlan. And at that time, he was the owner of uh, Three Lions Gaming. And I think he's back. He's the owner again now. And I reached out to him because he was also in Wisconsin. And I said, hey, um, you know, I hear I like to play a local tournament with you and bring my son along. And he's like, he was like about 10 years old. And so and then uh, and then my daughter was uh, was like seven or eight. And so uh, and so I started playing up uh, with with Ken's play group. And um, some of you may know, uh, know, uh, know Noah Wagonacht. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Noah Wagonacht, I think. Yes. Wagonacht. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe. So Noah... I, I'm, I'm the first one to butcher names, though. So. <laughs> So Noah, I don't remember how old he was at the time, but he played regularly in that group. Um, and so, and he and his two brothers. And so we would go up there and my son Palmer, my daughter Ainsley would sometimes come and we'd see Noah there and Ken would host and we would play. So I played for about two or three years then. And it was like a totally different perspective, you know, because now it wasn't about me, you know, trying to just find, it wasn't just about me and the hobby, it was like trying to provide a constructive, you know, biblically oriented, fun pastime for my 10, 11, 12 year old as he as he was growing up. And um, and, you know, the game had changed during the hiatus for sure. But it was a totally different experience. And I guess what I would say is that, like, um, you know, the game has that enduring life that you can come back you can you can you can interact with it at one way in one season of your life and then come back and interact with it at a different season of your life in a in a different way 
And that's what happened to me with uh, with my younger kids at that time. When you first came back, so this would be your first time having the hiatus and coming back. Yes. You mentioned the game was different. And what, yeah. and what magnitude or scope were the differences? Uh, because I feel like that's about the time to where it went from uh, just guessing. You, you had found it about the time that ability started being more popular on the cards. You had less... I guess numbers on numbers, and now yes, you came back to where I guess the the depth of strategy had started to, uh, I guess deepen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when I started getting into it, like Warriors had just come out when I started to play, and so I never really experienced like the really hardcore like numbers on numbers when it was just like a game of like <laughs> figure out the brigade that's got the highest number and mix and match, and then occasionally you do a special ability. So like Warriors was Warriors was the clearly I think other people have mentioned this on on your podcast that Warriors is where the game really became a game. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it, it became serious um, because you had um, you had abilities that were meaningful um, and uh, and so at that time like the rules like like John I can't even tell you it was like the wild west I mean it was the wild west with the rules and it and being like I'm like a software guy and I'm like into like precision and like <laughs> super logical and everything's got to be like black and white totally clear I'm like a rules one of those rules lawyers you know and it just drove me to distraction. But when I first started playing, because there was like the game was being it's hard to describe it, but the game was still being formed in those years. I mean, I'm, that's the best way I can say it is like there was not like a canonical interpretation of how to use these abilities. And the arguments were it wasn't just like rulings. It was arguments. I mean, you would sit down and you would argue. Endearing arguments, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we were like, you know, I mean, we were like, you know, you know, getting fists out and stuff like that. But but like Chris Bainey was like instrumental in trying to help lock these things down. You know, like, let's get some decisions and get some consistency. So things were moving in the right direction when I came back in 2010. But it still was not pristine. It was still was not like the way it is now. Oh my goodness. It's like, it's like waking up. I mean, cause I will, I'm kind of preview into, so I took like, I'll preview a little bit. I mean, I took a second hiatus and then I came back to the game in 2022 and then it was like, oh my goodness, like things have arrived because coming back for the third, the third time in 2022, it was like waking up in heaven and suddenly like everything's just been figured out. <laughs> and it's like the rules work and the rules make sense. And it's like you can get answers. And I'm, I can't even tell you like how much gratitude the community should have to the people who have hammered out and gotten clarity around the rules because it was so difficult to play when there wasn't that degree of specificity. And, you know, the elders have come together over the years. They've really hashed things out and formalized it. And then you have like these dedicated volunteers. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just have to put a plug out for Marcus and, you know, Redemption Aggie. I mean, I think that there's like going to be like in heaven, there's like going to be like a special (laughs) room for him. Like he's going to have this special like trophy in heaven that's just going to be like gratitude from everything he has done 
to be there for people. Um, it seems like almost any time of the day or night to like answer their questions, give them clarity, do it logically and consistently so that there's not arguments, but instead there's like kind of discovery and really understanding the rules. So there is so, it is just so much tighter and clearer now. And it's it's really freed up, I think, for so much more enjoyment of the game and less noise. Um, and so there's been a progression, but like we're, this is like the golden age right now. I think we're living in it. But, but when I came back in 2010, you know, the Disciples expansion had just come out. And a lot of people were playing Disciples. The, the depth of strategy was getting really exciting. Um, you know, a lot of creative um, people could come out with like new decks that just turn stuff upside down that nobody knew how to handle. Um, so it was it was also a very disruptive time in terms of the kinds of things people were doing. And you had Gideon, you had Angel of the Under the Oak, you had the Samuel card that's since been banned, right? And, um, you know, stuff like that. So those were those were hot on the scene. And it was tough, I'd tell you, for my 10, 11, 12-year-old son, he played from those ages. You know, he was he's a totally competitive, I mean, he's like hyper-competitive. And he loves to win. I mean, he is like out of control, like he's got to win. <laughs> and and it was as a kid playing against, um, you know, there's hardcore redemption players out there. And it was immensely frustrating to him to not be able to consistently get ahead because it's such a hard game to, I mean, it's easy enough to learn, but it's so hard to master and it's so hard to get up to the top level of playing. And it was frustrating him. I'll tell you, it was difficult. And, um, you know, he was just mentioning to me, I was talking to him today. He said that, you know, he would design a deck that he thought was super cool. He'd see these cards that seemed so powerful and had such neat abilities and be these awesome themes. And he'd sit down and we'd go to like the tournament or the playgroup and he would just get hammered. And it was really frustrating for him. But but that, but that was, you know, the depth of strategy was coming out. And it wasn't just like, you know, it wasn't just like everybody's all roughly more or less about the same skill. You know, the 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 the, the pack really distributed, started to distribute very widely so that there was a huge gap between, you know, the top players and the and the people who were not the top players. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about being in a golden age. I think just to answer that, I think the cards themselves now, even though we talk about like power creep in the game and stuff, now it's to where like, a young player, someone that just has invested in their first deck, they went to, say, your turn games and bought a contender deck and then play that. The disparity between the top players and, I guess, the starting players, the um, you know lower skill level players, depending on their journey in the game, it feels like that gap has, you know, it's, it's, it's closed to where now it's, it's a lot tighter. Like you were talking about, the rules made the gameplay tighter. It feels like, feels like the whole game's gotten tighter to where, like even a good player can lose to anybody at any point, depending on you know, luck of the game and you know a couple of key decisions, versus just sitting down and getting, you know, destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I personally, I mean, I'll take your word for it. I personally haven't experienced that because when I play, I still get destroyed by any by anybody who's like. <laughs> Anybody who's good. So, so if this, because like, because, uh, you know, again, fast forwarding to, you know, post hiatus number two, Jay Chambers, like, like, you know, he's the guy who kind of brought me back in the game, and I've yet to get anywhere in any games against him. Um, so I, I you just need to play him at nationals. <laughs> I know. Apparently, I mean, he doesn't do good at nationals. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what happened? Because I'm like, after playing with him, and I'm just like seeing him, because I was going to all of his tournaments. 
And I was like, and he was such on such a streak. You know what I mean? And and I was like watching, I was following nationals pretty closely over the internet. You know, I was watching all the different live streams and stuff and seeing how it was going. And I, I couldn't understand what was happening to him. So, so, uh, so they, yeah, so maybe that's what you're talking about with the tightening of it. But there's still, I think there's always going to be like this periphery of people who never managed to be, you know, real contenders at this game. And I certainly fall into that category. <laughs> so like nobody's going to know me as the guy who who's won a lot of games. Although I have to say that I am listed. If you go to Wikipedia and look at uh, the Redemption card game site and they list some of the you know champions from earlier years, I have a trophy in the most obscure category that there has <laughs> ever been. So back in, uh, back in uh, 2001, I was the RNRS Type 2 multiplayer champion. Type so 2 multi. <laughs> RNRS. I mean, it was probably like four people maybe that, you know, and it was like in 2001. <laughs> so so it's it's a far cry from, uh, you know, having to deal with, you know, dozens of people in Type 1 nationals. But anyway, that was my claim to history. And I still have my trophy and I keep my trophy with, with, my, with all my cards, boxes of cards and stuff. Nice, nice. You know, I had to, I had still... Uh, Jay's brother to try to get me a trophy or a plaque now that they give out. So, (laughs) I mean, whatever you got to do to get one, as long as you get one. (laughs) I know, I know. I I don't think I ever get one again, so I'm glad I got one early when I still had a chance. (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned that you you have uh, you came back to the game with your youngest. Now, what has it been like um, going through the process of teaching the game? I know that we talk about the games different, but having the experience of going through it the first time, teaching your kids to play and playing along with them. And now you're doing it for the other, uh, the other kid and getting to use some of the experience, the good, the bad, you know, what you learned from the first one into, you know, sharing with your, I believe you said 16 year old son now. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened is like, and so, so we played in Wisconsin for a couple of years and then we, as a family, we moved to Michigan and uh, we lost touch with Ken and that play group. And um, so that was like 2014. And so, you know, my, my Palmer, like my oldest, you know, he started being, you know, getting ready for college. And, you know, he moved on to other games, which wasn't necessarily my first choice. Like I wanted him to stick with Redemption, but he started getting into some other games that, uh, you know, and because um, he's a very competitive guy and likes that scene. So Redemption kind of you know, started to become less, less important for us. And then um, in uh, 2022, so my, my 16 year old now, he's 15. Uh, I mean, now he's 16, but he was 15 at that time. So Palmer, he just like, he like, you know, he's out of college now and he's working, but he like got out. He's like, let's play Redemption. And he like got out the boxes and got out some of his decks that he had used, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, my 15 year old was just like fascinated and uh, the interesting thing about it was that I think it was so much more interesting to Wiles, to my 15-year-old, because it was his older brother who was showing him. You know, his older brother who's like five, six years older. He's always looked up to him. And now he's like bringing out these cards and he's talking about the glory days. Like, here's this warrior's banding deck that I used to use. And here's the <laughs> angel under the oak and all this kind of stuff. And we had this like renaissance, this nostalgic renaissance. And so for my 15-year-old, he was like discovering the game and he got like totally fascinated by it. And so they were like, we, he was like, I want to, I want to like get, I want to like figure this out. 
And so that was 2022. And I started reaching out, trying to figure out what's going on in Michigan. And that's when I heard about Jay. And so um, and so he agreed, you know, kind of like a Chris Bainey type of move, you know, like Jay said, I'll, I'll meet you guys like let's meet at a let's meet at a mall. And I don't have like a tournament schedule or anything like that. But bring your two boy, you know, bring your older son, your younger son, come out and meet me at this mall and we'll just play and I'll kind of get you up to speed on what's happened in the game. And he just took time out of his day. And that's, I think, what makes the game grow is people who are willing to do stuff like that. You know, what Jay did exactly what Chris did in terms of back in the day, you know, in terms of taking time out to meet with us. And it was funny because, you know, Jay showed up with, uh, you know, at the mall and he had like this Pokemon hat, I think, if I remember correctly. So that was kind of an interesting flashback to uh, 1998 and my Pokemon days. And, um, and, you know, the game had changed, my goodness, with like rotation. And that was devastating, to be honest, when I first heard about rotation, because I felt like I have like a thousand redemption cards that like are not that like I can't use anymore. <laughs> but but I could. T- but after a while, I saw the wisdom of it because now I have, you know, yeah, I've got all these artifacts that have like nostalgic value, but in return, you know, those get filed away, but in return I have cards that work. You know what I'm saying? Like all the cards make sense. Um, you know, I remember Brad was talking about uh, uh, at Nationals and he was playing um, Booster Draft and he got Widow was one of the cards that came up and he like totally misunderstood how Widow was supposed to work. And I like totally smiled when he was telling that story <laughs> because because Widow was was one of my key cards back in the day. Like I loved Widow. And that was part of that was like it was like she was awesome. Cause you'd like lead with Widow and like nobody could block her and like King of Tyrus couldn't get at her and it was like super powerful. And then, you know, I'd come back in twenty two and they're like sitting down and telling me like, dude, I got bad news for you, Art. Like ignore is like totally worthless now. And it's like <laughs> nobody you know, nobody used anything. So yeah. so so uh but you know, it's like but the the system with rotation, the the cards, the abilities are consistent, the wording is consistent, the look and feel is consistent. Um, you know, it's just up a notch. And so I feel better about about using those cards. But it was it was tough. It was a tough, tough pill to swallow, but you know, I got past it. And um but my 15-year-old's name is Wiles. He's now 16, and he just got so into it. And, um, you know, he's listening to the threshing floor. I mean, that was, like, part of what got him excited about the game was, like, whenever I turned around, he was, like, listening to these episodes, and he just loved it. And he's we're, we're a game family. I mean, we are a gaming family. We, we love – that's our main pastime. And I'm like, there's no other game that he's sitting down – you know, listening to a podcast for hours on end and following all the rules changes and wanting to watch games and stuff like that. So, um, so it's been pretty neat to see, but you know, it's like, it was interesting because we, we, um, you know, I drove out and met with Jay with my two boys to kind of see what's happened with redemption. And we had, we started having some theological discussions because, because Jay was bringing up Judas and this, this theological oh, question yeah. of Judas and flipping him good and evil, I, I can see I can see Jay right now pushing that. <laughs> it was, and it was cool because we just started the conversation at the mall. But the neat thing was, like we drove home and I got home and it was like a Saturday night and I just sat down with my two boys and we probably spent three or four hours just talking about the Bible and talking about theology. And it's like, what, how do I create, you know, it's like so much of wanting, you know, I want to pass out down my faith to my children. And how am I going to do that? 
You know, it's like there's Sunday school, there's Bible study classes. But, you know, it's like Deuteronomy talks about how you should talk about the Word of God in the everyday moments of life, you know, but how it's difficult to start those conversations. But that Saturday night was like, we spent three or four hours talking about the Bible. And that has been like the beginning of so many more conversations that I've had with my two boys at this new stage in their lives where they're not just kids anymore, they're young men. And they're developing their own understanding of the Bible and theology. And redemption has been one of the triggers that sparked our increasing, you know, focus in family life together around the Bible. And that has been a wonderful, that to me is, I don't know if Rob Anderson ever really envisioned that that's what could happen with this game. Like he was probably thinking, hey, you know, the themes of Magic the Gathering aren't great themes. Let's If people are going to play a game, let's have them play a game with biblical themes. But I don't know that he was anticipating that actually playing this game and the themes and talking about the Bible could actually be sparking, you know, a whole other uh, momentum of biblical and theological discussions within the family and bringing a family closer together spiritually. And to me, that is the really beautiful and wonderful thing about this game. And that's where, you know, I mentioned like Marcus, Chris Bainey, Jay, all the people who have given you, John, all the people who have given their time for this game. And you call it a ministry. And it is a ministry. It's just that the the impact that it has in people's lives, and maybe you don't see it right away, but it starts to happen. And I really believe that any time you gather around images and words and scripture verses and things that describe the work of God, it's going to, in some way or other, it's going to start to impact people's hearts. And that's what I've seen happen in my family. And it's been a wonderful thing. Yeah. Speaking of uh, kind of the context of the game and where it draws its source material, I think redemption is unique in that uh, Magic the Gathering, obviously, they can have, you know, card developers sit down and think of, like, they have to use their imagination to think of things and pull from it but redemption has source material that it is trying to honor when it does that so what do you think what do you think the uh responsibility of a game like redemption is to its source material and then how well do you think redemption in your view having experienced it for 20 plus years at various times um how well do you think they honor that source material I, I, that's a great question, and um, I think one of the things that's kept me in the redemption orbit for a quarter of a century is that the game honors the source material. I think that that's a really, really good way of putting it. I don't know that I would have used that phrase, but now that you put it that way, it really resonates with me. And I remember, you know, I talked about like, you know, the the sort of the arguments that would happen around the rules in the early days, and and I remember there was a there was a certain card being discussed about the special ability. And back in those days, like literally like Rob Anderson would participate in emails about the rules. And I distinctly remember Rob responding at one point to an email and says, look, I'm not going to make a card that goes against my theology. And that was like a huge statement. And um, and I think that, that what he put into those words, I think, has been reflected in everyone who's had an influence in, in touching this game and in the way the cards have, have shaped up. And uh, I think, um, you know, I mentioned, you know, the conversation about Judas, like the fact that, that Jay 
wanted to have was passionate about that and wanted to talk about that is is just a sign of the reverence I think that so many of the players have for the Bible and want the card to reflect um, to reflect the the themes of Scripture in a reverent way. And one of the things I really appreciate is, uh, you know, I mean, I, I take like a very um, strict, you know, like I really believe that the Bible is the word of God without any kind of error in terms of everything it speaks to in terms of history, science, like everything I believe is absolutely true. And I really like it that the artwork and the abilities of the cards reflect that. Like when they show stuff in history, they treat it like history. And, um, and it, it, and it's all, um, like, I feel like I don't have to worry that there's going to be some weird, presentation or interpretation of, of the scriptural ideas, like it all comes across, I think, in a really solid way. And, uh, and I really have, have appreciated that very much about the game. So much, to, to the, so much so that some of the cards for me have been like almost reminders for me. So there's an early, one of the very first cards in the game was a card called Meditation. And it was, and the verse was Joshua 1.8 about, uh, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. And, uh, you know, being a busy dad, you know, having my daily times of devotions and Bible reading on my own was a challenge to set up that habit. And uh, I put that, I kept that card out on my dresser um, as a reminder of the importance of meditating on scripture. And so that's talking about the honoring the source material, like it's the, the card was so effective that it was a visual reminder to me of of a practice that I wanted to incorporate into my life. And another more more recent example is um, you know, one of my great heroes in the Bible is is Nehemiah. And I, I really admire Nehemiah because of his dedication to the task. And, uh, he, and was <laughs> he was very vigilant. He was very vigilant. And in Nehemiah six three he said, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should I leave the work? And go down to you, and that's like a, that's like a theme verse for me. Is like focus on what God has called me to do. And so Nehemiah is like this hero. And so there's this promo. You, I'm sure you're familiar with the promo Nehemiah card. Um, and uh, with and it's got a JJ Tussaud is the artist on that. And that card is sitting on on my dresser right now. And not, not the meditation card, but the Nehemiah card is sitting on on my dresser. And so my my son, my youngest son, 16, you know, he said. He said, Dad, why, why do you have that card out? Why is that the one card you had out? And I started explaining him, well, Nehemiah is kind of like a hero for me. And he's like, well, why? I don't know anything about Nehemiah. So we went on this road trip and we got to our destination. I'm like, hey, Wiles, what were you doing? Like, I saw you were really quiet, like reading in the backseat all this time. And he said, well, Dad, I just read the book of Nehemiah. Nice. Yeah. He's like, because I, I wanted to see what that story was about. And so again, it's like if I had said just out of the blue, son, you should read Nehemiah. He'd be like, yeah, whatever, dad. But the game allowed me to express something that was true to my heart and it it made him curious. And then he went out and read the entire book like on his own and was ready to talk to me about it to the point where he said, dad, you should like design a deck that uses Nehemiah. And so when I was at, um, you know, when I was at... Uh, Jay's recent tournament, the um, the Thomas J. Chambers Memorial Tournament. We I was there with my two boys, and um, and I saw Jaden there, and uh, I had a chance to chat with him. And I'm like, Hey, Jaden, um, do you ever use like Nehemiah in a deck? And he's like, I'm using Nehemiah in my deck right now, like today at this tournament. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> that is cool. It's also really cool that, uh, and the reason I, I mentioned the vigilant, I think that's on his. I think that's on his um, promo. Like as a, a sub name, I might be wrong. Oh, 
Yeah, you're right. It's Nehemiah right. the Vigilant. Wow. Okay, I didn't. Yeah. T- I missed that reference. <laughs> wow, that's right. But, I mean, I also think it's really cool to you talk about. You know, you mentioning to your son and him getting you know interested in like what the story of Nehemiah was and what you know kind of he brought to the table um, with the way he lived his life, but. It's really cool that the game is not only designing cards now for, you know, trying to do everything on the game side of it, but they're also trying to honor the characters and who they were in the in the canon of the Bible and the story of our faith to where they have those names on them now, you know, like Yes, I love it. LOC came out and had the names and I don't know if you saw um but I think Chris Fashman shared that all of the uh at least the blue uh, heroes from Genesis early on talked about God, like their names and what the like Hebrew yes. meaning of their names yes, meant and that. how it all yes. tied together. And now all of these characters are getting, you know, identifying factors in their card title to give you kind of perspective of what the character is. And then it's really cool. Um, and you can't do it with everything, but it's really cool when you see the story and, and how they lived their life and what their impact was on, you know, in the Bible, their impact on the people around them. And then you can kind of design a card that works in a similar way. Those are, it's not every card, but every now and then you'll get kind of where it plays out like the story did. And it's really cool. Yeah, totally. Many of them do. And I really appreciate the way I think that they are, they're symbolic and they're powerful. I mean, I don't think, I don't, Personally, I don't take it as like hokey, and I think it's powerful. I think that it's a beautiful symbolic illustration. You know, Jesus spoke in parables and taught us in parables. And in many ways, some of the special abilities that the designers have tried to use to express some some aspect of the character, I think are beautiful expressions of of a biblical truth. And, uh, you know, I homeschool. Um, I've homeschooled all my three kids. Um, my daughter's in college now. Um, my oldest is graduated from college, and but I've homeschooled them all through high school. And, and a big part of our, you know, daily lessons is Bible lessons. And um, with Wiles, it's been really neat in our Bible lessons to like we're in our Old Testament where we we went through Ruth and then First uh, Samuel. And now we're in Second Samuel, and uh, all that has happened since our getting back into the game. And he's seeing stuff in First Samuel. And then recognizing cards and pointing out, oh, okay, this is why, you know, these are the Mobats. This is, this is, I don't remember the names, but like, uh, here's the, the, the Philistine king. Um, here's the Philistine king that David goes to, um, to, uh, for protection for a while. Is that, uh, is that Achish? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King yeah. Achish. And so, yeah. And Achish's servants and all that kind of stuff. So, so like he's, he's like, okay, now I see he like, he like had been introduced to these characters through the cards, but now the narrative is being fleshed out for him and it's Mm -hmm. giving him like another reference point. And, and, uh, you know, I love the way that, um, you know, the way that, uh, you know, Ruth's connection and how she fits in the line of Christ, the lineage of Christ, um, has been a a theme that that's come up in our, in our Bible lessons and having that reflected in, in the, the 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 lineage of Christ and all of those redemption cards that bring that out and the the Ruth references on cards, um, I think is really powerful and it has really all I can say is that it's like it reinforced what we're talking about in our Bible lessons and it's like it's like this synergy where 
what we see in the game and then the artwork. I mean, the, the artwork is, has, I, I just love the artwork on the cards now. And uh, I love the classic paintings and, uh, and the way that those, those great artists who have portrayed biblical figures and then those are associated with, you know, biblical verses and characters and their dynamic in the game. And then it adds such a richness when you sit down and do Bible lessons together and read the Bible and start talking about it. It becomes you, you can the, the, the images all the images in the game and the scriptures all work together to bring about this richness that's truly wonderful. Yeah. And I think the uh the important thing uh or one of the important things is the responsibility of, you know, the source material and using that not just not just using that as okay, well we don't have to struggle to come up with characters, themes and things and yes. using that, grab that, but grabbing that and trying to maintain that context yes. in the cards um, has been really unique to see. And I don't know, I don't know what it was like in the, the early days, but I know that there seems to be at least, um, so I came in at the tail end of Prophecies of Christ and now we're moving in, yeah. uh, you know, we've, we finished out that block, the of Christ block and um, we've, we've, kind of transition now starting back with you know the the children of israel being uh, captives and then freed and their rebellion now with the latest set so we've kind of shifted gears but you can see through that both of those uh i guess you know telling the story of christ and you know the prophecies of it leading up to his you know life on earth and his ministry and then seeing now children of israel back you can see in both different uh, i guess story arcs that the sets are telling that have come out since I joined the game in 2019 are really focusing on trying to honor that source material um, in the way that the cards play. And I can only imagine for someone who is looking for a way to re uh, reinforce those values and those, those things and pass down your faith to your, your sons who are your students. Cause uh, you mentioned you homeschool and stuff, finding a way to, uh, I guess, reinvigorate them to learn that stuff and want to uh, seek it out on their own by using this card game. We, a lot of times we refer to the game. I mean, it's, it's different things for different people yes. um, at, and especially at different stages in their life. But I think yes. the one constant is that the, at, at any point that you check in with the game, at least uh, since I've been involved, it, it seems like the focus is on, maintaining that above all and I know that we're we're targeting new players and getting them to come in but we haven't sacrificed kind of the source material and the theology behind the cards and the reason we're creating cards to appeal to a uh, a younger audience or get new players in because I could very uh, easily see a company especially um, Cactus who I think it's kind of evident that they went through a period where they weren't making a lot of money on redemption and Redemption kind of had to support itself, and now, you know, with the fundraiser we've recently done and uh, players investing into the game, we're looking to potentially do advertising, new packaging, and things to get cards in stores where they're not currently. So things are moving in a great direction there, but when the game was having to support itself, or basically it would have, I mean, I would assume that there was a chance that it could have been discontinued. Yeah. Um, it's nice to know that they didn't sacrifice or circumvent and, you know, get lax on some of the uh, 
responsibility to honor the source material in order to just push out a lot of cards or create products to pull people in. Um, it's nice that it seems like they've got the the priority list in order and it's kind of bearing fruit now, even though there was that period where it seemed like uh, maybe it wasn't it wasn't taking off. And it's not, nice to know that uh, we've honored the, the source material and now we're seeing the, the benefit of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's gone in a better direction. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've listened, John, to your podcast enough to know that I don't think you're a huge fan of Angel Wars, like the Angel Wars set. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so, I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> and so there's an example, there's an example, I think, of where the game could have gone in, I think, a bad direction and went in a good direction instead, you know? So one one of the options of the game certainly would have been to, like, go more in the direction of Angel Wars and try to find adjacent, you know, fantasy elements that you could turn to that have more of just a accidental connection to the Bible or an artificial connection to the Bible. But instead, you know, the direct, the game turned towards the direction of, of a deeper, going deeper, into the Bible. And like you said, looking at what's the, the Hebrew names, what, what's the Hebrew meaning behind the name, and how can we have a real richness to, um, to exploring at a deeper level the scriptural themes. And I think that that was, that, was a, that was the right direction. And so I'm very pleased coming back to the game, the prophecies of Christ, um, and the, 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 is it the lineage of Christ? Yep. Lineage yeah, the of prophecies Christ. of Christ, the lineage of Christ, the gospel of Christ. Those were three incredibly solid expanse sets. And, um, and, and, you know, it's like being a homeschool dad, like, I, I don't, you know, it's so easy to focus, it's so easy to fall into the trap when you're raising your kids to emphasize externals. But when we exercise, when we emphasize externals with our kids, all we do is just raise little Pharisees. We either raise Pharisees or we raise like rebels, people who just want to walk away from it. But, but what the, the challenge for as parent Christian parents is to reach our children at their heart. Okay, so so I think that the game could have veered in a direction that uh, that wouldn't have been as healthy, but I think it's turned into a, a really healthy direction. And you know, as as parents, we want to. We want to, as a, as a Christian parent, you know, I want to focus not on the external, but on the heart. And what I really want is for my, my children to know the Lord on a personal level. And that comes by just planting seeds. And um, so the, the way that redemption has been helpful is that it's not, um, is that it, it, it's more incidental. Like you, you, you pick up, you, you start to play the game and it's not about forcing, you know, like a non-Christian can play redemption and enjoy it. But what happens is that it starts to rub off on you in a more of a subtle way. And that's what I think makes it really powerful is that you can you can play the game and not have a single reverent or spiritual thought in your heart at all. But over time, as you play the game, you can start to want to dig deeper. You can start to recognize the themes. You can start to be interested in the message. And um, that's where it's been so valuable as a, not as the core of discipleship in our home, but as a catalyst or as a supporting role to, to enhance the discipleship that, that we're doing. Um, you know, another, just another example is, um, you know, we were in our New Testament study, we were in the Gospels and we read about um, 
about uh, the temple tax and and uh, Jesus talking to Peter about that and Peter going out and catching a fish and having the coin in his mouth. And we were like studying this passage in great detail. Um, but while it's brought up, oh, you say, oh, you say, okay, I know this. This is this is the four drachma coin passage because he's got a Gospels of Christ deck and he uses four drachma coin in his deck. <laughs> and so, you know, he's like, okay, now, now I'm getting, like, I know this. He's like, I already know about the four drachma coin from the card, and it goes on Peter. But now, like, I understand what's the theology, what's the history behind it, what was happening there. And, um, you know, the card is no substitute for the Bible study, but it's enriched the Bible study. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So thinking about the game from the, the spiritual aspect and the theology behind the cards and, you know, honoring the source material, I am not Catholic. Uh, I don't I don't know uh, necessarily what your definitive faith is within the <laughs> Christian faith, um, but I know Rob Anderson designed the game. Yeah. He is Catholic. Yeah. And I know there's there's Baptist, there's Methodist, there's Church of God, Church of Christ, Assemblies of yes. God. I can name uh I mean those are just the ones that I I for sure know about within the game. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of arguing or uh heated discussion, you know, those passionate discussions you were talking about early on in the game. You don't get a lot of that regarding the source material because they've found a way to honor the source material but not like lean into it to where you don't have to like believe a certain interpretation of a scripture for the card to bear out um and they they found a way to find that line to define that line and you know stick with it to where they're not one side of the one side or the other to where they're offending anyone um if you are you know real particular about them using source material um so what do you think uh, of the job that they've done to kind of mitigate the differences within the Christian faith? Yeah, that's that's a great. That's such a great observation about the game. And uh, I'm uh, I, I go to an Anglican church. Um, and so uh, I'm an I'm an evangelical and I'm an Anglican. Um, and so I'm I'm. I, I'm sympathetic to a lot of Catholic theology, but I'm also very sympathetic to a lot of Baptist theology. But but outside of all of that, to me, what unites all the different denominations and all believers is far more important than what like separates us. And to me, it's the Bible and it's Christ and it's and it's um, and it's the Triune God and it's being saved by faith. Those are the really important things. And um, and I think you're right that uh, that somehow. Um, the the design even across these thousands of cards, the design most of the time is able to avoid triggers around specific theological camps. I mean, I probably the most the most notorious exception, right, is falling away. That was the card that just that was just caused no end. That that was a card that really did rub people the wrong way. And uh, because back before rotation, you know, the new the new falling away is not nobody doesn't nobody really has an issue with the new falling away. But like the old scroll falling away where you could actually take a redeemed loot. soul and put it back yeah. into a lost status. Yeah, I, I can mean, see that, that would that, be a, a little touchy. That that was that was the one card more than any other that um, that uh, that that people that really rub people the wrong way. But I, I didn't personally. I don't have a problem with it. But I, I actually like the card. But, um, but I, I do think that uh, part of the reason why 
the game has been able to stay clear of theologically or denominationally divisive topics is because of the intense focus on the scripture itself. Because whether you're Catholic or Pentecostal or Assemblies of God or Baptist or Methodist or whatever, we're, we're all using the same Bible, right? Of course, the Catholics have the deuterocanonical books, but instead of setting <laughs> that aside for a moment, we, we all, so at least the 66 books of the Old New Testament, we all have the same. And so if you're if you're if you're sticking tight to the Bible and you're using Bible verses and abilities that reflect the historical accounts of the Bible, you're you're kind of stay stay out of trouble. You know, if we start to have cards about things like you know the millennial kingdom or um, you know the the uh, you know the, the the predestination of the elect or I don't I mean there's like there, you could start having cards that get into like specific the prosperity <laughs> gospels card. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that could be an issue. And but I remember like one of the things Rob said in the early days is he he would say he said that sometimes like he would get letters. You know, this is back when in ninety five in nineteen ninety five people weren't sending emails. They'd send Rob a letter, and if somebody didn't like a card because they thought they objected to it, he would his response. What he told me is his response was, is he would say, if there's a card you don't like. Don't use that card, and I will send you, you know, a different card that you can use instead of that. I mean, it's like it, there's thousands of cards in this game. So if there just happens to be a card that, like, that like you don't feel comfortable with, then don't use it. Now, sure, you're going to show up and, you know, you'll show up at, at Nationals, and maybe somebody will be using that card that you have an issue with. But, um, you know, but it's like uh, I, I feel like, um, you know, part of the deck building, it's like, you can kind of approach deck building to say win at all costs, and I'm just going to come up with a deck that that I think is going to win. Or you can have a deck that reflects your personality and that reflects, you know, your heroes of the Bible or areas of the Bible that you have a special affinity to. And there's a, there's an element of being able to express like if there's a particular card that you know you don't, you know, you don't feel totally comfortable with, you don't have to include it in your deck. Um, but but I think that those are rare kind of those are rare situations, and I think the game is well designed in that respect. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if I'll get in trouble for this, uh, but I'm going to uh, share some share some information that is not publicly known just because it kind of fits the uh, the the kind of to show kind of the example of how serious the uh, elders take the the source material and not causing strife within the community, you know, based on certain interpretations and things. But when me and Jeremy Chambers uh, won teams in uh, at nationals in Iowa in twenty twenty two, I think I got to design a card because he also had one type two. So we would have had to share creating a card, so we would have both had to agree. But since he got to make one with type two, I got to make the the one for teams, and that's where I created my card. Uh, Sad Hendrix, as people refer to it, or Eliezer of Damascus from Israel's Rebellion. I don't know if you've seen that card, but this was about the third or fourth card that I wanted to do. Um, the first one was an enhancement, and like I had already designed the entire card on the van ride home with Chris Fashman and our group because uh, we carpooled to Iowa, um, and I wanted to create the Days of Noah as an enhancement, and I wanted it to kind of interrupt the battle and have a way to either play son of god or the flood in a genesis deck mm -hmm. uh, interrupt the battle and play that because it says uh the scripture reference was in matthew i believe um 
I don't remember uh, chapter and verse offhand, but it was talking about the end of uh, end of days or whatever, the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, the people it'll be like in the days of Noah when they didn't see it coming. So it could either go and get Son of God, or it could go and get the flood that they didn't see coming. And I thought that would be pretty cool. But anyway, that got got thrown out because he was talking to the disciples, so it would have had to have been a disciples card because they are uh, strict on. So if Jesus was talking to the disciples, then this would be in the brigade of the people he was talking to versus being able to make it. And I wouldn't have been able to make it an Old Testament blue card because it was a New Testament reference. And it wasn't a, even though it was referring to the Old Testament, it wasn't a direct quote of the Old Testament. And it has to be a direct quote for you to get the dual Testament reference, you know, kind of like humble or something like that. So that just shows like the attention, right, to... um to, to the attention to detail that, that the elders are putting on, um, you know, reflecting, you know, staying really tight with the scriptures, right? So that wasn't the most controversial one I made. That was the first one. And then the the next one that I made was, it was, um, okay, so you know the card um, from LOC, um, Elimelech, that goes and gets a hero and you can exchange to it or whatever, to add your your hero to battle. So you Elimelech gets to come and draw however many Ruth heroes you get and then exchange to search and exchange to another one or banish itself to bring another oh, one yeah. in. Mm-hmm. I wanted to use basically the same ability to make Abraham's first son that was not Isaac. Ishmael. Ishmael. Uh-huh. And uh, this was cut off at that point because they couldn't determine based on reference and how people interpreted his character in the Bible because he calls strife. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that he was, it was always going to be strife between. Uh So it was too controversial for them to even consider making a card. So I got hard stop. No, you can't create this. And my idea was to create, because he came first, if I did the Elimelech ability, he would have to remove himself, banish himself, CBN banish himself so he will never actually yeah. rescue a lost soul. So okay. you kind of sk- okay. skate gotcha. around whether with, you know, you could interpret him to be a good guy or a bad guy, gotcha. but he would never rescue a soul. But because it would open the door for controversy, the elders just know it can't happen. Move on, and so it really it really hit me hard when I was trying to design this card and I kept coming against resistance because. Obviously, they toned the power level down for the created cards um, from what they were previously, and they they wanted more simple abilities, more simple, straightforward cards, and I was trying to find a way to be unique within that, and I was kind of, I guess, probably in their mind pushing the limits on the, uh, on the uh, I guess, like theology part of it, trying to create a card. So, so the so the concern was that they didn't they they weren't they didn't like the idea or they weren't going to approve the idea of Ishmael being a hero because there wasn't a very clear biblical statement that he was you right. Know, it was open was, to interpretation, yeah, gotcha. yeah, and then people yeah. interpret it differently. There could be calls for strife within the community over it. Well, you know what that reminds me of that um, that reminds me of Gamaliel because um, when uh, when the Apostles set came out. There was some questioning about Gamaliel in terms of why he should be a hero, um, because uh, you know in the book of Acts, 
yeah, he speaks on de- in defense of not punishing the apostles, but it doesn't state in Scripture that he ever actually believes the gospel himself. Now, there's an ancient tradition that says that he does become a believer, but that's not biblical. That's not in the Bible. Right. Um, so we don't we don't have definite biblical evidence. So um, I don't know if Gamaliel has come back in any of the newer sets, but in the old apostle set, I remember that being a point of a point of discussion, actually. Yeah, so I guess maybe maybe things like that and other examples kind of led to that. But being told as I'm trying to create this card that these are the the standards and getting to understand the standard that yes. they hold themselves to when designing cards, kind of it lets you open up and see a different perspective. You get to see it from their side and how serious they're going to take uh, honoring that source material. Um, so even though I was bummed about not making this card and, you know, just trying to give something cool to Genesis decks that I like to play, you know, I found something that I end up, ended up liking. I, I like the way Eliezer ended up, you know, in his ability and he's searchable and bandable by the Cloud of Witness Abraham. Cool card. I, I have no issues there. It's just getting the Days of Noah because it's not a direct quote or whatever to make it dual testament. They weren't going to allow an idea of a card to supersede standards to honor the source material. And that's that's one of those things that when it happens to you, you obviously are upset, maybe, or, you, you know, kind of like, why is this the way that it is? And I was one of those that wanted to kind of like push the edge like why can't we why can't yeah, we yeah and i get why not because the bigger picture is we're trying to do it in a way that like i mentioned different denominations and things people that you know interpret the bible differently we don't want to create arguments or anything or any anybody getting hurt over something that is in the game and i it's something you grow to respect after the fact you know looking at river mirror is always 2020 right but I definitely, uh, knowing the the attitude and heart behind the cards and, you know, standing firm on the standards and how we're going to honor the source material is something that I don't know if everyone knows about that. That's why I wanted to share the story. Yeah. Um, because if you, if you realize from that and then you start thinking about the serious nature of each card that's created and then you have sets that come out on a yearly basis of at least, you know, I think we're going back to 129 card sets, but that's 129 cards that are being developed with an idea of making sure we're honoring that source material and the thought that goes into that. And I think it's prayerful thought, you know. Yes, yes. You know, I, I feel like there there's probably uh, a lot of discussion, but then I think there's a lot of reflection and, and things that go on behind the scenes to make sure that we're in that position. And it's not something that just happens freely. Um, there's, there's a lot of intention behind it. Um, so when something like Judas comes out, uh, and I know that Jay may, may feel a certain way about it, but I, I guarantee you there was a lot of thought and prayer put into that before that card hit, you know, the set. And so I just wanted to give kind of the back backdrop of my, my experience there. So people kind of know, you know, what it looks like from that perspective. Yeah, and I think that's wonderful to know that. And I think it just shows that the good things that that I've been able to experience from the game in terms of biblical, enhancing biblical understanding in my family, it's, that doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen through lack of prayer, lack of effort, lack of standards and serious thought. And yeah, I mean, in your situation, it must have been disappointing to have two of your ideas shot down. But But, you know, that sacrifice that you make... 
allows you know everyone to have a certain confidence that the game's going to be handled in a certain way consistently. And I think that that, in the long run, I think that that um, allows us to have a, a you know to feel a better you know like a more complete trust and confidence in the game moving forward, which is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So you've you've gotten to see in your time. Um kind of the gameplay and how it plays out and how it's evolved. And I know that we're trying to make the game kind of, we want to re- remain rich in strategy, but also appeal to newer players and you teaching younger, uh, your younger son now after you've already taught one and seeing the transition at different points in the game for the level of strategy versus the, the, potential to be overcomplicated yeah because i mean we do we do run into that how do you feel the game is doing balancing competitive deep rich strategy and also being accessible to younger and newer players and do you think uh you mentioned earlier that that you felt like we were in the golden age as far as gameplay goes um so i feel like we're in the best spot that we've been in in that regard but how have you seen it from your perspective seeing the evolution um, I mean, I think I think that um, certainly, um, you know, back when the game was just warriors, the game was a lot simpler, and um, and so you didn't have as many strategic options. Now, now the the depth is the the depth is the depth in the game is phenomenal right now, and um, and it's hard it's hard to keep it all in your head. And I mean, I. When I sit down to play a game, I have a hard time even keeping track of maybe I'm just getting old, but I have a hard time keeping track of like everything that's going on and all the different ways that things can be countered. But I mean, I think you've got to, you know, for the game to survive, it has to do that because I mean, if it the alternative to the range of complexity and range of strategy that you have today, the alternative is that you end up with a game that people are going to be done with. Because once you've mastered all the strategies, you put it away. So, um, so I think that, that, and, and yeah, you want to be accessible to new players, but I think part of the fascination for my teenager, part of the fascination was that it's not something that can be mastered in, in a moment. This isn't just a game where you sit down and play it and you're going to be world champion in, in six months. I think that, that a lot of people are looking for a challenge and they want something that they can settle in and really get to know and grow with over months and over years. And um, so I think that uh, that the fact that the fact that the game is difficult, the fact that the game has in 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 a phenomenal range of strategic options, the fact that there are so many different decks that can be competitive. Like at Jay's recent tournament, there were there was no one standard like common deck that all the winners used. There was there was a great variety of decks being used, and. Um, to me, that that is a sign of of a game that has reached a a really extraordinary level of maturity that is very very difficult to achieve, and so um, it's there, and um, it's for people. I I don't know. I I just think that um, you know again after after playing the game in previous you know over you know two hiatus moments and being able to drop in and spend a couple of years on the game in two different phases and then come back now. I just think it is in such a better place now than it has ever been. Has your youngest son had any issues understanding abilities? Because I feel like I feel like if I had to be a fly on the wall when you were teaching and going through some of those learning moments with your uh, your first son, 
um, back when he was learning. I feel like Angel Under the Oak and all that, the crazy busted stuff, I feel yeah. like that probably leads to some frustrating moments trying to learn cards and, and trying to understand how they interact. And I think the interaction part of it has been cleaned up a good bit. And is that kind of what you're experiencing as you're teaching? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the the, uh, the hardest the hardest part about the redemption mechanic, my, my I believe, is the whole notion of interrupt and negate. That's the thing that creates the difficult situations. I think that that almost everything else um, is more straightforward to figure out. But the thing that makes interrupt and negate such a complicated um, game mechanic is that you have this notion of of abilities that that are going to somehow take effect but then not take effect and to do to do that right is very very difficult um and i speak that i say that again as like a software guy and as like a programmer because in the early days we would talk about whether it was possible to write a computer program that could actually implement the rules of redemption or whether it was just too subjective and that that dilemma really revolved around the notion of of how interrupts work but i think that there's the the thought around it now is very mature with the whole concept of special initiative and special initiative being uh, clarified exactly what that means knowing you know very clear delineation around what it what is what does it mean when it cannot be prevented or cannot be negated how that actually works um and whenever i post a question at discord um the answers always come in are very consistent very crisp and um so yeah i mean when i play with my son we still have to go i mean i still have to go to discord and get clarifications on rules but the clarifications come in quickly and the answers are consistent and they make sense and so um, I think that that the whole interrupt notion um, is is the is the hardest aspect of redemption, but it probably is what also makes the game the most interesting. Because imagine redemption if you could not imagine redemption if everything in the game was CBN. You know, then every card you play is final, um, or 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 maybe maybe if all you could do is just prevent, but you could never negate. The fact that you can undo. Is what is what brings this game up a level, and I think distinguishes it from so many other games. Um, but otherwise, if every card played is final, the rules become more straightforward, and the gameplay becomes more straightforward. But it's less exciting, and that's the other thing that I would say about Redemption is that it's a crazy exciting game. Like it is a crazy exciting game. Like, like I have played dozens and dozens and dozens of games, and so have my my sons. I mean, we are like a gaming family, and. Redemption is an exciting game to play. I mean, you're on the edge of your seat and it's um it's not easy to come up. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's not easy to come up with games like that 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 have you on the edge of your seat and that have you sweating and that have you not know how it's gonna play out. But it has always been that way and it's always been a fun game and um it's like this incredible, you know, confluence of factors where you've got this game that is true to the source material. It's crazy exciting, and it's incredibly broad with range of strategic options. I don't know. I mean, that that's like uh, to me, that's like a that's like a um, it's a unicorn. Yeah, you don't find a lot of those. Uh, I I think a unicorn kind of makes sense for a definition for uh, or a description for redemption, um, especially. And it seems like it's kind of found its way now. Like I. I feel like I understand what you mean when you say that it's the best it's ever been. 
because it's always kind of had things that were drawbacks and now it feels like we're getting to the point to where we've removed so many of the drawbacks to where now it's so much easier to just focus on the positives of the game and exciting battle phases um, games that don't end in one or two turns and I know that technically you have to most games you have to go to at least three turns to win but there was games for a while to where like turn one you knew who was going to win and then it's just following the you know, following it through to get to the end point. And now I feel like there's a lot more opportunity for someone to turn the tide and kind of reverse momentum and come back. And so you get that dynamic as well. We spent a lot of time talking about the uh, the gameplay and how it honors the source material um, with the cards and things. And now we're talking about kind of the strategy. So let me ask you this hypothetical, just let's... Uh, You've already mentioned unicorns, so we'll just say that we're we're going into fairyland. Uh, okay. We can we can just dream a little bit and just yeah uh, alternate reality. Let's just say redemption is a game, but it's not called redemption. It's called something else. It has the exact same gameplay, and you take away the biblical aspect of mm. it, yeah. and now it's based on let's just say it's based on real world history that that yeah, everyone okay. agrees on world history. You know, this civilization beat this civilization. And so you have, you know, heroes and bad guys, what what have you. Yeah. And, you know, an evil character like Hitler and a hero yeah. like, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's just picture that. How successful do you think that game would be right now appealing to a a larger market of, you know, players? Because I feel like if you took the gameplay of Redemption and you changed the source material so it didn't have any kind of stigma on it, I think it would, what the game is now with appealing to a wider secular audience, I think would be an awesome game that would almost sell itself. That's such a fascinating question because um, there are... There, there, there are some historically based games, um, but they don't tend to be as popular. Um, look at the games that are that have that have that are that are not just collectible card games. But look at the games that are like runaway successes. I mean, there's Magic: The Gathering, Pokemon, um, many, many other games you could list. There's no accident. It's not an accident, John. I, I don't believe that all these games have a supernatural element. I think that that you know in Ecclesiastes we read that that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We crave as human beings we can't live without God. We can't live without the spiritual. And people hunger for the spiritual. And a game that is just based on history that everybody can agree on. Um, leaves out this element of fantasy and mystery that people hunger for. And so they're going to choose one way or the other because people want magic. They either want, they think they want magic, but what they really want is the spirit of God because they're looking for the transcendent. They're looking for the other. And so, you know, maybe if redemption was recast in like a Tolkien world, where you still had some degree of the supernatural and the mystery and the magic, then I think it might 
take off actually to be honest if you had aragorn you know up against sauron and stuff like that then i then i think it could get pretty powerful and and you know take the the strength of the game dynamic and the range of cards and so on um, but I, I think we, that that the, the that a game the the games that really touch our culture and that really reach people's hearts always have a spiritual element in my in my in my opinion, but very few of them will speak to the true hunger, the the not the hunger, but very few will speak to the true answer to our hunger. Like C.S. Lewis says, we're born with like we're born with a hunger for bread, for food. And God has created food. We're born with a thirst and God has given us water. And we're also born with a hunger for God. And um, so, so many people try to feed that God hunger with something else. And Redemption is one of the few games that will actually tell people this is what you're really hungering for. But the gospel offends. The gospel offends because the gospel says that you can't have God your way. You can't have things on your own terms. The gospel tells you that you need to repent. It tells you that you need to believe in someone greater than yourself, that you need to believe in a Messiah. And so as long as um, you have a card game that is faithful to the gospel, that too will offend. But I, I know, I, I think the spirit of your question is, you know, is the mechanics of the game strongly enough that it could be like a, a, a winner game? And I think yes, but I, I think it would still have to be some kind of fantasy setting to do so. That should go on my highlight film for asking that question and opening the door for you to go there. Cause that, that was a very good uh, response to that. Um, and I think you're probably right on the, the element as you, as you answered, I was like, yeah, people probably don't care that much about history <laughs> these days, but um, I do think that the gameplay of redemption has come so far to where it is, it is on the level of other games. And that's kind Absolutely. of the, the spirit of my question. And I, I think, yes. I think that we both agree that that the gameplay is there now, and now it's a matter of um, finding ways to to outreach. And yes. we've got the source material, so now it if if the gameplay is not something, and, and obviously it's not a hundred percent. Like if you know a hundred percent was perfect gameplay, I think we're probably in the eighty-five to ninety percent range, but. Redemption has lived its life around the 60% range, 60 to 70 in the past. And we've come so far and it's really close, but there's always going to be a few things. But now that we have this, it, it feels like people could choose to use this as an outreach and the gameplay doesn't draw it back. You right. don't have, you don't have cards that, you know, make people question the interpretation from the source right. material um, so right. it thinks it seems like the game set itself up. A lot of people always talk about how it can be used as an outreach item. Yes. And, you know, a way for you mentioned it as a, you know, supplementing your Bible studies and things. And I think the game is really at that point to where the only thing that holds it back is whether we as players choose to share this game now. And it's honoring the source material. So if we share the game that we like and enjoy playing we are in essence, uh, it's not the same as, you know, sharing your, your faith directly, but right. it's kind of like how you mentioned it kind of subtly is there. You share right. this great game with someone and the source material comes along with it. And then they get exposed to elements of your faith and you have those conversations that draw it out. Exactly. And I think now we're at a, such a, such a good point that there's no excuse for players not to be sharing this uh, with people that they know that are interested in games and things. And I think as an outreach tool, because 
since I come in the get, uh, came into the game, it's one of those uh, topics that always get mentioned is how it can play a role in outreach and ministry and things. Right. And I think it's set up so well right now to be the best it's ever been at those aspects. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know we've been kind of dancing around this, but I'll just say it directly. Like, you don't have to worry that redemption is like a second-rate Christian knockoff of something better. Like, redemption can stand on its own as a world-class game. I absolutely believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, it is an it is one of the most exciting games that I that I have ever played. And independently of the fact that I love the Bible and I love a game based on the Bible, it is an extraordinarily well-designed game at its, in its current form and in its maturity. So that's like objection number one is you don't have to ever worry that somebody's going to say, this is just, this game is no good. And then secondly, you know, you point out correctly that nobody's going to worry that this is her, a heretical game, you know, or that this has got some kind of negative influence that's going to pull you away from your denomination or whatever, because it's so carefully set up today to honor the Bible. So that objection goes away. So then the question becomes like, what, what does, you know, what, what can we do differently to like, to make it more outreach? And I'm actually going to, I'll actually throw throw out, you know, I, I said that I feel like redemption is in the golden age, but I do feel like there's one area that I think that there's room for improvement. Um, and, and I'd like to take a moment and share that if you don't mind, if I, if you give my perspective on where I think we could go better. And it's maybe not, it's not maybe um, what you would expect. Um, but like I, I mentioned that uh, my oldest son, who's now in his 20s, like, he got into a lot of other games and he played a lot of like Warhammer was, was, uh, is, and he still plays it a lot and he makes his models and paints his models and stuff. And one of the games he plays is Age of Sigmar and Age of Sigmar has what's called a player's code. And actually it's at the beginning of the rule book is this player's code. And, um, and I'm just going to read to you two sentences from the player's code for Age of Sigmar. One of them says, never complain about your bad luck or your opponent's good luck. And then <laughs> and then a second rule is remind your opponent about rules they may have forgotten to use or that they have used incorrectly especially when doing so is to your opponent's advantage rather than your own. So that's the player's code. That's like before you get into any rule. Like if you're going to play this game you have to live by it. Like you have to play by that. And at when he goes to these Age of Sigmar tournaments, they don't just you don't just have points and have a winner. After every round, you actually um, they actually have a a prize at the end of the game for sportsmanship, and they have a prize called most favored opponent. And at the end of every game, you basically indicate. Um, how your your opponent was from a sportsmanship perspective. And the person who gets the highest rating for sportsmanship through the day of the tournament actually gets a trophy right up next to the person who wins on the basis of points. So those those two elements of the player's code and the and the idea of most favored opponent, to me, those are like Christian values. Yeah, don't complain. Don't complain about your bad luck. I mean, um, remind your opponent about rules that they may have forgotten that are to their advantage. And isn't that what Jesus said to like, 
be concerned about other people's interests more more than your own and putting others first. And here's like a, a secular game, a spiritual a game with a spiritual focus that's not directed towards God. But that community has figured out that incorporating these Christian values in the actual gameplay and encoding it in the rules of the system is necessary to create a healthy and inviting community. And so I kind of feel that that's an opportunity, maybe a next place where the redemption community could go is to start developing our own player's code. Um, because I play a lot of games with, with, I, with people who complain about their bad luck and who complain about the draw and complain about my deck. And I go and play with other Christians and they say, and, you know, they finish the game and they say, oh, I hate the way that this rule has made the game less fun. And you're you're just you're utilizing this rule that's giving you an advantage. And and it's like. I think that we need to as a community, we need to say that we are first like our first priority is to put on Christ in our behavior. And that's how we win. So, like, honestly, like I like to win and I don't like to lose, but I lose a lot. And so you'd think that by now I'd have enough practice losing that I would like to get really good at it. But but I still I like to win. But when I go to a tournament, I have to remind myself and I say the competition for me today is what is am I am I going to put on Christ and am I going to reflect Christ in every single interaction with every person and in every game that I have? And if I have done that, then I've won at the end of the day. And I, I, I think that that element like when when my son went to a age of sigmar tournament he didn't have a hotel and he was he was planning on sleeping in his car and one of the other players there found out that he was going to sleep in his car and just bought him a hotel room and put him up for the night in a hotel room no quite he didn't even know how much it cost or anything but he just bought a hotel room for him i think that the that love in the community is 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 the power of sharing the game. And like you said, the quality of the game is there. The biblical nature of the game is there. The question is, are we there? Are we there reflecting Jesus in everything we say and do in every single interaction? And are we putting others above ourselves? And are you willing when it's like the when it's like championship round and you notice your opponent that is not taking advantage of an ability that they have that could be decisive? Are you going to tell them or not? I mean, those are. The, I mean, maybe you don't have to, and maybe you shouldn't, and maybe this shouldn't be part of a player's code. But I think it's at least a conversation that we should have. Definitely fair. It's a the idea of it reinforcing biblical, uh, you know, things that we're called to be as Christians. If we're, you know, walking in our faith, um, putting that into the game because we're honoring the source material. Now, if we can get players to if we can get players to also come along and behave in a way that exemplifies, you know, what our faith is, that's a very interesting dynamic. And I mean, what's one more like national promo to give out to somebody, you know, you get the top three players up there and then you <laughs> add one more, Hey, this was the guy that everybody, you know, yeah. voted as their most favorite opponent. Yes. Um, I mean that's that's another way Jay could get a Jay could get a, a trophy. Uh, I'm I'm just kidding. I'm not I'm not meaning to rib Jay, but 
like the the concept and it's cool that like that's coming from a game that has no christian element to it that's right and are they about it more than we're about it that's why I mentioned it. It was I, mean, I, I. That's why I mentioned it because it just my blood went cold when I read that, when I read those rules, because I'm like we should have we should have been there we should have beaten them to this. Yeah, but I mean that that's such a good a good concept. I don't. The only thing that. And I now it did feel like you were throwing shots at me a little bit when you talked no. about complaining about bad luck. Or like, I've never, I hate I, that, I've never I played hate, a game. I know, but like I hate that rule that lets you do that. Like I feel like I've been in some of those situations after a game, and I've also been in that that awkward space of like I know that my opponent has a territory class card that's affecting some way, but he has not caught it, and is it my responsibility to tell him that, or do I just? It's on the player for their skill to, and I don't think there's anything wrong with not telling them. But if if we incentivize and we we allow the space for someone to get rewarded for, you know, being that quality of an opponent that they're you know they're caring about the other person as much as their own uh, their own self interest in the game. To where, hey, you got that trigger, and if you do that, you 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 might mess me up. You might get a chance to win the game and whatever. And then if we do that and we create that culture, imagine that culture we create and two or three years down the road. How much better is every player that plays this game because they sit down and when something is missed, there's a, a, a good chance that the person across the table is trying to get them as good as they can be because we've created a culture around the principles that you mentioned, just simple, so simple as caring about, you know, their interest in the game as much as your own, or, or more than, you know, following the teachings of Christ with our uh, gameplay. So that's definitely a conversation that's worth, you know, opening the door to and, and talking about. And I, I just, I, I see maybe a little bit of... Uh, initial you know discussion about it but i don't know anybody that would have hard resistance to something like that within our community and you mentioned i mean and you mentioned it because it's like imagine you want your goal our goal is to get more people into the game and so if you're showing up to play what's more likely to make you want to come back if your opponent says oh you have this territory class ability that you're not using I want to remind you of that because that's actually going to help you out a lot in this game. Isn't that going to make you want to come back? Because you're like, wow, like I love playing with these people because they they are gracious to me. And I'm a brand new player and I'm making mistakes and they don't take advantage of me or they don't say, oh, it's not my responsibility because he doesn't have the skill to play his deck. <laughs> so I can just win. Thank goodness I got this less experienced player that I can beat and so I can get a good next round. That's what's going to turn people away. But what makes them come back is if they see somebody who cares enough to say, don't forget this ability. Don't forget your upkeep. You know, and then certainly, you, I mean, at the Nationals, when you're at table one, you probably don't need to do that. But if you're at table one, you're already hooked on the game. Yeah. But I'm saying, what about all the other people? It's just what's going to make them 
come back, I think. And you point out a whole other element is it's going to make everybody better players. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to criticize anybody, but I'm just going to say, like I was telling my, my 20, you know, my age of Sigma, our son, you know, we went to this tournament together and I told him like Palmer, I, was, I said, you know, it's like, I have such a hard time keeping track of everything on the board. Like I start doing something and then like I, I use a draw ability and then I tell me, somebody tells me that they're going to discard, they're going to underdeck a lost soul. And I had no idea that, that my draw abilities were going to do that. And Palmer said, all right, dad, here's what you need to do. When you sit down to start a game with somebody, just sit down and tell them, hey, I don't know what all the cards do. I don't know all their powers. So if you have a card in play, an artifact or a territory class or a lost soul that's that that has some kind of trigger could you tell me what those triggers are because i don't i don't just automatically know them just from seeing the cards on your table i i at the beginning of every single round i asked my opponent to do that they all said okay not one of them ever did that through the whole game nobody ever actually um nobody ever actually told me okay this card now is creating this trigger situation even though i asked them and they said they would nobody ever did it and um so i'm not saying that to bash people um and I have my own history of, you know, going all out to win and not to be courteous to the other player. But I just think there's a lot of room for growth to create a this environment of 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 uh, of courtesy and caring to others. And it's tough with a 45 minute. That's the problem, is that we have 45 minute time limits, and so and so many games time out that you just don't have time to point out all the triggers. And it's and it makes the game less exciting when you're pointing out all the triggers. And so there's a real tension with that. Um, and I'm not saying that there's an there's a black and white answer, but I think that I think it's an opportunity for the community to develop our own ethic, our own game ethic beyond just don't cheat. I think there's there's room for like another another level of game ethic. And and maybe the most favored opponent is a way to start that because um, you might lose if you help your your opponent to show them something they may have forgotten that may lose the game for you, but it also might get your vote for most favorite opponent. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that playing with more grace and humility is never going to be a bad thing. Um, right. And I think when you talk about those players that said that they would, um, it's as much, it's as much, I, I would I would venture to say most of that's not intentional. It's just we yes. play the game in such a way yes. that we're so focused on our own self interest that yes. when you have someone that that has a request like that, that it just okay, you're in the moment, but then as soon as that moment's gone, it's out of sight, out of mind, and you're you're in your zone. This is how you play the game. So pulling pulling that back and, you know, kind of creating a something to incentivize, um, being more courteous to opponents is never a bad thing. It's also one of those things to where the game is so competitive at the top that yes. there's not a lot of room for casual or more casual right. play to be rewarded. Like you can play casually at nationals, but you're just going to end up toward the bottom tables right. by the That's end right. of it. And how do you right. enjoy the experience besides, you know, just, showing up and getting you know bashed for eight rounds and then you're whatever six to eight rounds right. you're at the bottom tables but if there's something else to shoot for uh with you know how engaging you are with your opponent and you know sharing you know principles of our faith within the game um i, th I think that's something that would really appeal to to the community and 
like I said early on, I think be discussions. But if it was something that was implemented, and you think three, three years down the road, just the the culture that that should create. Yes, I feel like we're in such a better spot because of it. So that's a that's a world class uh, tidbit that you brought. I'm glad I'm glad that you you had that. Yeah, and it's like we might think it wouldn't work. Like you might think nationals with the time limits, the competitive, like it wouldn't work. But the fact of the matter is that in other games, and we're kind of insulated, many of us in the redemption community are insulated from these other games. But in other games, I believe it is working. So so like when Palmer goes and plays with his Sigmar, it's a vastly complicated game and people come in with all these different models with different rules and it's hard to keep track of. And he tells them, tell me what, tell me your special rules. And they do it. They tell him. And they're, they're more competitive than in redemption, but it, 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 uh, but it's about forming a new being able to do it efficiently. I think that's the problem is that when nobody's doing it, then you become like the loser if you do it. But if everybody's doing it and learn how to do it quickly and efficiently and how to just, you know, you can imagine super fast, I've got this lost soul out. It takes you five seconds to just tell somebody, hey, remember, I've got, I've got this lost soul out. I've got this thing. You place the card and say territory class enhancements are negated. Just, it, takes, it takes half a second. But, but those words, if, everybody, if one person's doing it, sure, that person gets marked out to be a loser. But if everybody's doing it, then, um, then it levels the playing field. And uh, it has to be kind of like the whole kind of culture and the whole community doing it together. And again, if, if, if no other games out there were adopting these kinds of conventions, but even I watched a video of a Magic the Gathering national tournament, the final round. And in the final round, um, I noticed some of the comments as I was watching. I was looking at the video and I was looking at some of the comments. And um, one of the main things that people were commenting on was the, the, they were astonished at the degree of courtesy shown by the two players at the final game of the National Championships of Magic the Gathering. That's something that I don't know that we've, we've had anybody say about our top tables. <laughs> at <laughs> at nationals while we've been doing live streaming but it's it's something that like when you think about it if you hadn't said anything i wouldn't have been bothered like i, I wouldn't have i wouldn't have thought of this on my own but now that you bring it up and i start seeing and and realizing how much it fits with what we're trying to create as a community for redemption it's like man, why aren't we doing something like that? And it's like, you mentioned that they got to it before we did. And, you know, not that anything's a race, uh, like just implementing and, and being better and finding ways to improve the product and the experience, because we're all about the experience for yes. newer players coming in. And newer players, if the culture was for us to be so courteous to you that, like, there's not a chance that you like we limit your ability to misplay because we're going to let basically talk you through if we know that you're a new player, um, even if that means that we're going to lose a game. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the contrast of that is like nobody's doing it intentionally to be kind of, uh, you know, brash with someone that's new, but I feel like sometimes in games we get so caught up with, I'm trying to get this game, so I, I recognize the players knew that I'm playing against. I'm trying to get this done so fast so I have a break in between rounds. <laughs> and is that the way that we should be approaching that game to think that, 
they're a less opponent than someone else just because they don't have the experience and the cards. And if we can enrich their experience, I think that would be so great for potential future culture of the game if we can trend toward that direction. So hopefully people that listen to this and when you listen to the podcast, guys, like if that's something like you have strong opinions one way or the other, or if that's something you think is a cool idea that maybe we should look into, start a conversation in Discord, like talk about it. I mean, the coolest thing about Redemption is that it's a game where everybody gets to have an opinion, and it's not that we just get to have an opinion about the game that we love and we play, but we get to have an opinion and then talk to the people that are designing cards about it yes. because they're in the same Discord and they're talking with us, and it's not like a hierarchy. Like There can be conversation about things, and if there's a, a way to improve the game and the culture and the community, we should be chasing that down, and I think that this would be one way to... Do it. It doesn't hurt me if I'm trying to win and I go and I try to win. I can do that just the way I've always done. This just adds in a layer for some other people in the field to focus on, you know, the the aspect of enriching the opponent's perspective. And, you know, people can choose which way they play or which way they lean when they do it, but it doesn't hurt to have that. And then one more person gets a a, a promo at a yes. at a tournament. I mean, Rob's not worried about somebody getting another promo. So in the interest of improving the culture, I think it's a a wonderful concept. Um, We're at, we mentioned earlier before we started recording about time, we're at an hour and 46 minutes. So uh, I think uh, I'm I'm comfortable at this point getting ready to wrap up. Um, I, I, I told you before that, we talked about it so long and we just kept missing. And then I kind of got spotty with the podcast, but I've taken January off for the most part to kind of get work situated, um, which has turned out to be wonderful because we've got a work is in the most stress-free spot it's been in years for me. So uh, that is, that is awesome. And hopefully that opens up more hobby time, but I told you I didn't have a lot of notes because I wanted this conversation to kind of be more free because Every time I started asking questions, I felt like I was painting it into a box. And see, I, I don't know if we get to this point where we talk about this. I mean, you might have had it in your notes there. So we might have talked about it either way. But I'm glad we finally got the episode uh, in. Yeah. Got to sit down. Uh, I guess we can call this meeting face-to-face. Yes. But I, I'm glad we finally got it done. And I I want to thank you and thank Jay for kind of putting the idea in your head to reach out to me. Yes. I think it's been a wonderful conversation, but is there anything that you want to share with the the listeners out there before before we uh, get ready to wrap up? Yeah, I just wanted to share like one one final kind of story. I, and again, I just I, I do want to echo John. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your your graciousness and courtesy in this conversation, and um, it's been really wonderful. And um, you know, I, I remember. Um, Years ago, um, a redemption card that was in my memory helped me when I was teaching an adult Sunday school class, and I had emailed Rob Anderson and told him about that, and he replied by saying, it always amazes me how the Holy Spirit uses this game. And uh, that's kind of a good phrase to describe, just an experience I want to share with you. So on the day of, of, uh, on the day of Nationals, 
Um, you know, I told you that I was like kind of watching closely, seeing how the games were progressing, wanted to see how my friend Jay was doing and stuff like that. But at the same time, I was also like spiritually, I was not, I was like not in a good place that day. I mean, I feel like the devil, I was like getting, I feel like the devil was like really kind of like clouding my faith and, um, and giving me like spiritual temptation and, uh, and, and really making me, um, question and doubt a lot of things and like spiritually I was like really not not where I where I I mean I was really down in a bad place um but I was like you know watching how the day was progressing looking at table one going back and forth doing my other chores and activities but I would see and I kind of like settled in and it was towards the end of the tournament I settled in and watched um Nick Marshall's game it was either around six or round eight I'm not sure which and I was like, I was like watching the game progress and I was seeing things play out and I was seeing the table get fuller and fuller. And then like my favorite card in the game from the very, very beginning, like this is part of the original like set is Authority of Christ. And, you know, Authority of Christ has changed from the very first version to now the, the new one that is the new one that's came out with with uh, Gospel of Christ, which is a beautiful, beautiful card with a wonderful ability and wonderful artwork. Um and like the game was reaching this climactic moment and the, the table is covered with cards and Nick, he just got out authority of Christ and he like placed it on the table. And it was like the authority of Christ, like all, all the evil just cleared off the table because, because the authority of Christ destroys all evil characters. And I was like, that's, it's the authority of Christ that's, going to clear the darkness that I'm feeling today in my heart. And it was like the Holy Spirit used that moment to just elevate Christ as the answer to the darkness that I was feeling. And it just sustained me. And it's like, isn't that crazy? Like I'm watching a video of a game. And yet, when when you play a card that that honors Christ, and says that the authority of Christ, no one can stand against it, it cannot be interrupted it cannot be prevented it cannot be negated um that's the authority that that i look to for you know life and um, that's where the answer is and i think that the game continues to point that out even to me as a 55 year old man who's been a christian for decades i need that reminder and sometimes that reminder just comes from a card that was just carefully designed but used by the holy spirit so i just wanted to share that that moment yeah, that's absolutely an awesome moment too, and it it goes back to again. That's that's kind of what we talked about before. Of sometimes the cards are designed to where they play out their yes. role in scripture too, because of how powerful uh, Christ's authority was while he was here on earth, um, driving out demons. You know, having miracles follow him. I mean, that's that's, that's a wonderful that's a wonderful uh, I guess ending to this. Just talking about the impact of you know the source material in the game and then its ability you know if we take it as it's been crafted now and matured um if we take what we have now in this game and use it as outreach just there's there's no limit to its impact that it can have that's Amen. that's a good synopsis of that so i guess we'll get ready to wrap up here and this will be our first episode of the new year, and hopefully we'll be a little bit more consistent with episodes. 
now that we know we've got uh, your 16-year-old son looking forward to more episodes. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> and <laughs> we'll put the pressure on me now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So definitely uh, enjoyed hanging with you, and uh, I guess we'll catch you guys next time. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode, number 70, first one of 2024. want to thank you guys for listening along. want to thank Art for coming on and sharing his story. want to thank Jay for kind of putting that idea together that, you know, it took us over six months to, to put together, it feels like, or around six months. Um, and it finally happened. I'm glad it did. It was a great conversation. really enjoyed learning about his experience with the game. Hopefully you guys found it as interesting as I did. But we'll go ahead and get ready to cut out here, and we'll catch you on next episode. Peace.